You're listening to the Sprues and Brews podcast, your weekly podcast looking at all things Warhammer. Hello and welcome to a bit of a Halloween recording special of the Sprues and Brews podcast. Uh, my name is Dave and I'm joined once again by Matt. Welcome, foolish mortals. <laughs> and hello, Jay. Hello, what have I returned to? <laughs> I, I don't honestly know. I don't honestly know. It's all it's it's, it's playing as deaf all weekend. It's all gone to his head. <laughs> it, um, it really has. It really has. Uh, which segues quite nicely into talking about what we're going to be talking about on this week's podcast. And our main segment this week is going to be this last weekend's Path to Glory event over at Warhammer World, the Conquest of the Savage Lands. So we're going to be chatting to you about uh, how the event. Uh, went on um how we did in our games uh and yeah a bit of an overall view of uh, this this first narrative age of sigma event that i believe the warhammer events team have put on spoilers so, it was ace it, it was proper ace uh, but that's not all we're going to talk about this week because we're also going to be chatting about our top three favorite warhammer fantasy miniatures uh, as well as reading out the community choices later in the show and as always we have a heap of news as well to go through but before we get stuck into all of that uh, an apology that we didn't put a podcast out last week it, it just kind of escaped us a little bit we were quite busy uh, with different things but we're here now so um that's um that's that's what that's what's important and um, but let's talk about what we've been doing in the hobby over the last couple of weeks uh let's pick on matt first matt what have you been up to oh oh wow you see i'd normally do lots and lots of hobby but i've had a slight predicament in that i've been moving house and (laughs) apparently you you can't like do that in half a day and it takes forever but Mm. i'm in in the new house i'm actually sat in the brand new sprues and brews studio I've got like a massive, like ten foot long desk in front of me, so I can, I can hobby <laughs> while while doing the podcast, and I've got like a wired gigabit internet connection, so hopefully audio is a bit better than it has been. So uh, so with that, um, obviously there's a lot of Warhammer all over the place that needs tidying up, but it does mean that we can soon do battle reports and live streams and painting streams and all that fun stuff that we, we really enjoy doing but it's just not been logistically possible to do over the last year so uh, that's super exciting i also managed to sneak like half a day in between moving to finish my night haunt army for said conquest of the savage lands so it like midnight a couple of nights ago till the early hours of the morning was battering out a nighthaunt army and you know what nighthaunt can be knocked out pretty quickly <laughs> it's yeah. like being back at school and doing your homework right before i was literally doing my homework on the bus <laughs> um so uh, they were never going to win any uh any painting awards and I'd, I'd like to go back and finish them off properly but i did manage to get them done for the uh for the event which is, is what counts really absolutely and they still look i thought they looked pretty good i'm pretty i'm pretty uh, happy with them yeah. i i, I want to you know that i want to add some more highlights and details and stuff to them but um spooky green is pretty quick to do so that was a bit of a uh <laughs> a saving grace for me painting the army mm. excellent stuff and of course you had all your, your 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 actual character done already and all your narrative stuff as well so uh yeah, that was exactly. really cool you were you were somewhat prepared for, for the weekend 
yeah. Uh, Jay, what have you been up to? Uh, a few things. Um, so the first thing I've been working on this month has been the new Leagues of Votan units that we've um, unboxed and reviewed on the Spruce and Brews website and on YouTube. Um, so I was putting those together and putting some paint um, on the Grimnir, which is the sort of um, uh, Rune Priest in Space model. Really, really nice model with the two little e-corves. The little drones and Iron King are fast becoming my favourite parts of the uh, League of oh, the range. <laughs> yeah, they're really, really cool. Um, and the, um, the, the, the centerpiece unit, the Land Fortress itself, which was an incredible kit to build and paint. I really, really enjoyed enjoyed putting that model together. I, I want to get a second one because I, I just think they look so cool. They're like little. Um, I can imagine like the the the, the Votan kin uh, sort of like living and working inside its hull. It's quite spacious. You got lots of little bubbles so you can sort of um, canopies so you can sort of see inside the kit and the details inside it. Really, really nice. And there's there's a, a few little. I like to think of them as like Easter eggs or teasers on the sprue as well. So there's like a little um, tow bar at the back which. Certainly looks Ooh. like it, you might be able to equip some sort of land train too. Ooh, that sounds Ooh. cool. Yeah, so yeah, so check out the uh, the video and the review for those. That they've been great fun. So the uh, the leagues of Votan are sort of the Warhammer 40k army that I'm working on at the moment, trying to get them painted up. For our, we've got the Spruce and Bruce Crusade that we're hoping to to sort of start, especially now you're in your new house, Matt. Yeah. Uh, and we've got a couple of events early next year as well, which I'm hoping to take to take the dwarfs to. Um, yeah, and we're also um, heading to a Horus Heresy event in a couple of weeks' time as well. And um, this past weekend, Games Workshop announced that the Liber Imperium book will be going up for pre-order next weekend, which Ooh. will include rules for the Legio Custodes. Um, so I am currently, you know, I've been painting some Legio Custodes. Um, I'm hoping I'll be able to take these to the Horus Heresy event. So uh, in front of me on my desk here, I've got a Legio Custodes Telemon. Um, and um, these last couple of weeks, I've been working on the Coronas Grav Carrier, which is like their sort of big transport skimmer, um, using this sort of weathered gold paint scheme that I'm trying to master. Um, so, yes, that's what I've been up to for the last few weeks. I mean, looking at that gold scheme, Jay, it looks so good. Yeah, I've I've enjoyed painting it, and it's really it, it, the 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 sort of main colour is this. Um, let me get it out of my box here. It's like a a wax based paint, and Ooh. it's called. True Metal by AK Interactive, and it's a, a, a brass colour. Um, and you saw, it's very waxy, and it does smell a bit. But you um, basically dry brush it over your base coat. So as a base colour, I've used like a, a sort of more bronzy sort of gold colour, and then just dry brush this over the top of it. And to be fair, it, it looks quite nice just like that for a nice, bright, clean-looking gold. Mm. Um, but I, what I do after that is I sort of like scuff it up a bit. This I think these, these sort of paints just... You, you can buff up to like a, a shiny, like realistic looking finish. Um, and then I've been applying like normal oil shades and washes and then some black oil paints as well over the top and like um, washing them off and rubbing them into resources and then using some weathering pigments to sort of splash a bit of like dirt and debris and things across across different parts of the armor. Um, and then I've got like um, some like grime type effects that I'm streaking down some of the paneling and that kind of thing to trying to make them look like you know these are the emperor's finest but by the time horus reached terror 
the 10,000 were much diminished and looking a, 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 a lot worse for wear, really. So that's I mean, it takes them of... right, really, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that's the sort of, um, uh, sort of re- uh, like effect I'm trying to go for for the army. I want them to not look like your typical gold, shiny custodies. These are custodies that have been through hell, basically, so... Is this your first time outside of like GW Acrylics then moving into more kind of a new? It is, yeah. And you're right. The the majority of paints on these models are non-games workshop paints. And I think what I'll do is obviously at the moment I'm quite busy trying to get them painted and different things. Um, but I think what what I'll do is when we come back from that Horus Heresy event, Matt, I might get mm. an article up in a little sort of painting blog of of how I approached it and how I painted it. Maybe you know how, some of the mistakes I've made and what I've learned. But I have enjoyed it, and actually it's been quite. Um, I mean, normally when I'm painting models and things, I'm really focused on like edge highlights and things like this. But with these, there's no edge highlights in it. It's all it's all a combination of dry brushing and rubbing muck and stuff into crevices and and trying to like paint the model almost like inside out rather than applying the highlights on top. Yeah, looking at your progress, it kind of reminded me more of like um, like military miniature painting. Yeah. Than than mm. than, than war game miniature painting, which is different because. With with a, a, a model kit tank that's just going to be on display, you use a few of these different things because they're not going to get rubbed and knocked on the table. Now, obviously, you might have that issue with them, but I guess you give them a good a good seal afterwards to make sure it doesn't go everywhere. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so and this is all new as well. Like you say, that dust you have to be not the, the weathering powder. You have to apply it in a special way, and then you have to make sure you you, you get all that excess off so it doesn't rub off, like you say, on your fingers when you're picking the models up and stuff. Um, but yeah, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it, and it'll be interesting to see whether similar effects or, or like painting techniques can be, be applied to maybe my, my Blood Angels army, for example. I'm, I'm sort of thinking, well, I, I made a start on my Blood Angels army, very much in the sort of method I'm used to painting. But maybe after painting these Legio Custodes, I can sort of approach the Blood Angels in a different way. Yeah, uh, I'm not saying I would use this technique for every project. I do think it sort of fits the Horus Heresy sort of setting as well. I, I agree. Tried... I think it kind of lends itself to that more kind of grim, dark vibe, doesn't it? Where most 40k armies are a bit more colourful, for want of a better word. Yeah, I'm just looking at Harquins now. My bright green, yellow, and blue Harquins, which are just <laughs> underneath the custodian. You're de- dead right there, Matt. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, you've been quite busy there, Jay. Um, for me, it was all about one thing, and that was ensuring that my Skaven were ready for the weekend, which I'm very pleased to say I very almost completed. So I let myself down a tiny bit because, unfortunately, my Vermin Lord wasn't quite finished. Um, I spent the Friday, I think I was was editing editing a video at the time whilst frantically painting the Vermin Lord. The actual Vermin Lord himself is pretty much finished, but his base wasn't even started so oh you got um, defeated by the end boss dave yeah i mean you saw them uh, i think i did a pretty good job you um, know what i mean we're going to talk about this more in the main section aren't we but i think you've done an amazing job on your skaven dave thank you um it was it, i tell you what i think i said to, to matt that the morning of, of the event it kind of occurred to me that this army that i'd wanted for age of sigma for so long i'd finally now completed um, 2,000 points off, uh, and I've got more stuff that I can paint for them as well. I was going to um, say, you're sort of at a good point now where you can just add to them. Yeah, just I've done like the, you could say I've done like the hard work by by painting so many clan rats and storm vermin that I can, you know, it, it won't feel so bad doing a random doom wheel or a few extra warp lightning cannons 
you know a new warlock and stuff so what um, are you thinking perhaps um if you can get some sort of base converters for warhammer old world maybe um I, I don't know no i think i think for the old world i'll be doing something just for the old world um i'm thinking probably right now if you were to put me on the spot i'd probably say bretonians um i think um but we'll, we'll see we'll see um as an I'll, aside as an aside because you went on last week's show jay or last the last show jay um what what are your thoughts on the old world would you there's lots of rumors swirling around isn't there presumably the majority of it's going to be resin and, and forge world so it'd be a slow burn project similar to how heresy started off but there are rumours floating around that a lot of the old world plastic kits like Tomb Kings and Bretonians and presumably, you know, all the stuff that's currently in the Cities of Sigma range, uh, maybe some of the old discontinued elves will make their way back into production to allow you to start playing an army using those old miniatures before new miniatures get released for them. So yeah. with that in mind, what force would you go for? Oh, wow. Well. There's three armies I think that I would be interested in, in in doing. That would be the dwarfs, the wood elves, and the high elves. And all of those, um, you've got miniatures for, and there's stuff in the range that you could potentially use for them as well, isn't there? There is, yeah. So certainly with the the dwarfs, there's a lot of stuff in the dwarf range which I still quite current, quite good. The gyrocopters, the long beards, the iron breakers, iron drakes. Um, and I've got actually upstairs tons of metal dwarfs, the old metal slayers and things like that. So I can yeah. definitely put a dwarf army together. Uh, and I, I've got some of the old metal dwarf characters as well, which I, I always used to love. I, especially, is it? Um, there's a really iconic one where he's leaning on his axe. I've got that down there. Oh yeah. Um, the uh, the the wood elves. Now they the, the glade guard and glade riders have disappeared from the Games Workshop store um, a few years back. I've got a couple of them upstairs, but I think you can still get the Eternal Guard and the um, the Rangers. Uh, I've got some Metal Way Watchers upstairs. Um, but if they brought back like War Dancers and um, the, uh, I think you can still get the Wild Riders, can't you, on the plastic stag? So yeah, yeah the, the Wood the Wood Elf range actually is quite quite uh, in quite a decent place, I think, uh, barring the Glade Riders and Glade Guard. You see, um, I was saying uh, saying last time I've got two when the Broken Realms books came out. They did a box that contained like a load of dark elves and a, a, a lord on dragon. And I've got two of those boxes and I'm thinking, build them on square bases. And that's a nice core of a uh, fantasy dark elf army. Yeah, Malkeith and uh, what was the... Uh, Marathi, was it Marathi? Marathi, yeah, Marathi before she was a horrific snake monster. Yeah. <laughs> and Malice Dartblade on the cold ones as well. Yeah, so lots of cool Quite stuff. Cool. Yeah. The High Elves, obviously, they've been a bit... I think he's only the Phoenix Guard. They're the only things that still exist from, from back in the day. The Dragons have gone. The Ulrian Reavers, Dragon Princes, all that, I think, no longer exists. But, I mean, they were quite nice plastic sprues when they were about. So, you know, if Games Workshop brought those back, I'd probably snap some of them up as well. So, yeah, a few yeah. options. Um, mm. I think oh, I'd probably lean towards the Wood Elves and the Dwarfs, though, to start with, I think. Awesome. I feel, I feel I've derailed your intro there, Dave. <laughs> no, no, that's 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 a nice little, and it also explains actually why we're doing uh, the top three this week, uh, looking at those classic Warhammer miniatures. Cause I forgot to say it ties into our last episode, and um, with uh, with Peachy. If you've not already checked that out, it was a great uh, episode. So yeah, make sure you listen to it. Peachy is uh, a really cool dude. Yeah, please do, please do. 
Um, where was I? So yeah, so Skaven really has taken up. Uh, I've done an awful lot of hobby. The, the week leading up to the event, I had to apologise to to my wife because I think every free moment I had, I had a paintbrush in my hand, um, painting Skaven. So um, I'm on a little bit of a hobby break now, maybe for a for a, a day at least. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, until I, I pick something else up <laughs> to uh, to paint. I've got a few different things I could be doing. So. Uh, we'll we'll see where we'll see where it takes me. That sounds um, that sounds mysterious, Dave. That sounds like you might be up to something. It's it's really mysterious, isn't it? Yeah, there's a few things. There's a few things I can I can crack on with. So um, yeah, yeah. I think I think that's a, a good point to jump off. Um, we do have the news coming up next, so let's grab a fresh drink and come back with that. So, what do we have in this week's news, Matt? Well, we had a, we've had a few quiet-ish weeks, but uh, we have got the mother of all pre-order weeks this week. Um, it's going to be an expensive week because a lot of this I want my hands on. Um, so, first of all, the big ticket item, or one of the big ticket items this week, is the Slaves to Darkness army set. Now, this is a beautiful looking box that contains the new Slaves to Darkness Battle Tome, the Slaves to Darkness War Scroll cards, a pack of all the little enhancements and uh, stuff in there, a new Demon Prince, Ogroid Theridans, and 10 Chaos Chosen. This clocks in at £120, which is about the going rate for these army boxes, but uh, it looks a good one, and potentially one that m- might be worth buying multiples of and then selling the War Scroll cards and book that you don't need. I-, I do like that you get the entire War Scroll card kind of box in there as well. That looks pretty cool. Yeah, that's good. That's, I think don't, that's the first time they've that. done that. No, so that's that's cool. Um, and apparently those War Scroll cards are exclusive to this box as well. You can't buy them separately, which is oh. interesting. Interesting. So, um, yeah, and obviously the, the demon prints in the box can be built as a 40k demon prints if you so wish. But presumably if you're buying the box, it's going to be an AOS one, isn't it? Um, it's a shame Andy's not on the show because we've got the Ogre Moor Tribes Battle Tome up for pre-order next week at £32.50. Again, looking forward to this one. Um, I've got an Ogre Army. Dave, you've got an Ogre Army. I think everyone's got an Ogre Army apart from Jay. Not me. Well, <laughs> they're, Jay. They're, they're too chaotic. They're too chaotic. Well, if you're ever thinking about getting an Ogre Army, also up for pre-order is Vanguard Ogre Moor Tribes. This one is £80 and replaces the old Stark Collecting box, which was a good value box, wasn't it? But this one, actually, you know what? It's pretty cool. You get a um, the new Plastic Tyrant. You get six Ogre Gluttons, four Lead Belchers, two Mournfangs, and an Iron Blaster. So it's pretty much one of every plastic kit apart from the Thunder Tusk. Yeah. If you've already it, got that existing box combined with this, that's a pretty decent army. Yeah, it's much more of a mixed ogre box, isn't it? Yeah, where the old one was really kind of more the um I forget what they're called. Beast Claw Raiders, yeah. So yeah, pretty cool box. I like that one. Uh, also the Blood Pelt Hunter is available to pre order at twenty seven pounds fifty. This is a new plastic character for the uh, the Ogmore tribes. I don't know what this guy does yet, but he's got like animal heads hanging off his belt. So presumably he goes around shooting monsters, which is, is always fun. Now, are you a fan of Maneaters, Dave? Yes, I am. I am. Well, Maneaters have been reboxed into a set of three of them. And coincidentally, it's the three that I don't own. 
So I haven't got a price for this, which makes me think it's a, a direct only one. But I might pick this up because then I've got like all the different variations of man eaters that they did over the years. Mm. So that's pretty cool. It's a shame we've not got a new plastic kit. It wouldn't surprise me if at some point in the future we got a Warcry set to replace them. Yeah, but this is something that's quite nice for now because um, they did hint on the Warcom article that there's a, a ways and means of making them battle lines. So, yeah, um, yeah, well, it's, the, it's a good stopgap. They outright say if you've got the ex-mercenary command trait, they are battle line. So, yeah, if you're an army of man eaters, you can do it, though. You'd have a few duplicates if you're using these current resin models. Uh, there's also war scroll cards and dice out for them. Somebody pointed out on uh, Twitter that the Ogre Moor tribe's dice make great world eater dice as well. Because it's a big <laughs> fanged ring. Um, Jay, you were a fan of the Sylvaneth. Did you know that there's a Vanguard Sylvaneth also up for pre-order this weekend? Uh, in oh, the right. box, you get a Branch Witch, a set of Colonel Hunters, five Tree Revenants and a Tree Lord. Uh, oh, at £80, so pretty good for all the kind of like tree-based stuff. And for players of the Sons of Bayamat, their War Scroll cards were delayed, but they are up for pre-order too. Now, as Jay said earlier in the show, Liber Imperium, the Forces of the Emperor Army book, is also up for pre-order for uh, the Horus Heresy, containing the rules for the Legio Custodes, the Sisters of Silence, the Officio Assassinorium, and the Solar Exilia. Now, I've got a Sisters of Silence army. I really fancy the new Assassins, and I've always, always, always wanted to do a Solo Exilia army. So even though I'm a filthy traitor, I think I might pick up this book because hopefully I'll be able to do a um, kind of Solo Exilia slash Sisters of Silence army and throw in an Assassin, and that then limits the million pounds I need to spend on pure Solo Exilia. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it'll be fun, and you never know. I might paint up a Kasodi one day as well. I know Jay, you're you're going to be yeah diving straight into this book at the first opportunity, won't you? Yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm looking forward to this one. Uh, I've always been a fan of the Custodians, and, and like you say, it seems like you get a lot of uh, options in this book, like you've just said there, to, to play around with different armies, which is something that, that they've done quite well. I think that's one of the advantages I think they've, they've you've got of combining multiple sort of factions or sub factions into a single book. Yeah, I mean uh, it's 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 thirty seven pound fifty, which is only a little bit more than a battle tome or codex. I think that's a decent book considering you get what f- four army lists in there if you include the assassins. Yeah. Um, uh, presumably the the forces of chaos will get something. You know, the demon army list we haven't seen. Yeah, they'll get no, what's coming to them. They'll get what's coming to them. Yeah, and there's been no mention of the like the lost and the damned, the slaves of darkness, all the kind of uh, you know traitor mutants and rabble. I we wouldn't surprise me if there's a Liber Hereticus, which contains the demons, then all the, the traitor yeah. scum. Uh, and uh, uh, likewise, that's probably a book that you will never touch, Jay, because your skin would burn. Um, if you are a fan of assassins, all three of the brand new assassins are up for pre-order too. The, Venen- <laughs> the Venenum assassin, the Infoclite assassin, and the Adamus Assassin. It's dead good that I got it. Venenum right on the first take there, isn't it, Dave? Um, and yet yeah, they are all beautiful. I need to paint all of these. They look amazing. Are any of you guys tempted to pick one up? Um, I think I've got too much on my sort of backlog at the moment. But I, I do think they are very, very nice sort of looking models and i think they've done a good job as well because like you you sort of think they've got the assassin sort of angles covered with the four original assassins but they have managed to carve out a nice niche i think with these extra ones so yeah i think i may get some 
they don't have 40k rules, do they? We don't know, not currently, unless Warcom no. puts something out. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if they gave them 40k rules. Yeah. They're cool models. You could always proxy them as some of the existing assassins, couldn't you? They might be cool on like a game of Necromunda or something like that. Or... They, you, you know what? They would make very cool um, uh, bounty hunters for Necromunda. Yeah. And that's a really good idea that I might have to steal immediately. <laughs> um, there's some solid Exilia models up for pre-order as well. We've got tank crews for tanks. With pintle mounted multi lasers and a pintle mounted heavy flamer. They're really cool if you want to solar auxilia up some of the uh the tanks that they can take. There's also a blast from the past with the solar auxilia, Surgeon Primos, Avos Joven, and Medicate Orderlies. Basically a named doctor and his mates and a poor guy strapped into a chair who's probably not gonna live the battle, but he'll operate on him anyway. This was available a long time ago and um it's not been available to buy for a while, so good to see that come back. Likewise, we've got the Solar Exilia Rapier batteries. They're the same chassis, I believe, as the Imperium ones, but you get some Solar Exilia crew for them as well, which I believe means that you can now do a full Solar Exilia army from the from the Forge World site, so that's cool. Um, there are updates for the Iron Hands, a nice... Um, you know, set of um, shoulder pads and uh, chest pieces, and for the Night Lords as well. Night Lords are one of the tricky ones because you've got the really kind of iconic winged skull kind of uh, design on the shoulder pads, which is a bit, a bit tougher to freehand than some of them. Um, so, yeah, I've always fancied a Night Lord army at some point too. But that's not it, guys. There's some Necromunda releases too. So the Goliath Vehicle Gang Tactics cards are up for pre-order. These, um, we've, we've seen this similar kind of thing before. Basically, it's got some unique gang tactics, then also a set of cards that are designed for vehicles to fill in your vehicle stats. The Prometheum Tank Refueling Station is up for pre-order for £28. This is a new Necromunda scenery piece, which is basically a, I don't know, Necromunda SO garage, I guess is the best way to describe <laughs> it, for filling up your vehicles out in the ash wastes. Unfortunately, um, I don't think they sell sandwiches. They might sell sandwiches. You probably wouldn't want to eat them, but I bet they do sell sandwiches. Um, you probably don't want to go near them in the middle of a fight, though, because I imagine they're a little bit explosive. And if you like carrying around explosive things with you, you can also put the very same Promethean tanks on a Ridge Hauler trailer. That is 30, uh, £36 and contains the, the Promethean tank bit and the trailer to be attached onto the back of a Ridge Hauler if you want to take your fuel on the go which is, you know, obviously very useful in the current cost of living crisis, if again, a little bit dangerous and explosive. And then finally, Dave, you, you're a Goliath player, aren't you? Oh, yes. Well, you can now get some alternate heads with like gas um, filters and backpacks and kind of little add-on things just to represent them being out in the waste as well with the kind of equipment that they'd need to be wearing when they're out and about. So nice little resin update for them as well. So, Lots and lots of pre-orders. Moving on to the news, again, it's, it's a, been a hefty week for news. First of all, obviously we know the Slaves to Darkness army sets come in and uh, Warhammer Community have shown off some new kits that are coming after that box. So we've got a new uh, Chaos Warriors kit. It's a full multi-part plastic kit with options for hand weapons or halberds uh, and then all your champion options. These are really, really nice Chaos Warriors. Mm. I'm going to need to buy some. 
Uh, I've got a lot of Slaves of Darkness, but I think the army's going to grow in the near future. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I know you've been tempted by these guys as well, Dave. I'm going to sway you to the forces of chaos. Yeah. Uh, there's also a new kit for Chaos Knights. And by a new kit, I mean it's an old kit with an upgrade bro. So do you remember when Start Collecting Slaves of Darkness came out, there were some brand new push fit Chaos Knights in there? Um, they are coming out with a separate upgrade frame which builds a command retinue. So that's pretty cool. That's a good idea. Uh, using Interesting. The kind of, yeah, using the kind of kill team approach of having another sprue to add a command squad to them. I was, was going to say that that's a, the 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 original sprues that came out in that that box. They were really really good. So they didn't need to do much really. So just the the fact that they're adding an extra sprue to allow you to equip a banner and musician and stuff, I think is fine. I think they've been really clever with stuff like this recently. Obviously, most of the Kill Team releases are like this, aren't they? Take an mm. old kit and add an upgrade sprue. With everything being like CAD designed as well, it, it's probably much easier to do now than it used to be back in the day. And like you, you say, Jay, they, they were gorgeous models anyway. So taking yeah. the same kit and adding an upgrade sprue is a, is a genius idea, really. Uh, that's not it, though. We also have a new Exalted Hero. Uh, again, plastic kit with a couple of different head and weapon options. And also an option of taking a Chaos Lord on a demonic mount as well. It looks like he's got a couple of different options for a lance or a big warhammer. So, yeah, exciting times. I've got a feeling I'm going to be painting a lot of Slaves of Darkness in the near future. We were we were discussing this at Warhammer World, weren't we, uh, Dave, about what armies we might be working on next. And I was torn between Cruel Boys and the Slaves of Darkness. But the lore of Chaos took me because, you know, I... I've sold my soul to the Chaos Gods long ago, and there's no coming back for me from that, really, is there? Absolutely not. Uh, uh, speaking of Age of Sigmar, the new Battle Scroll went up. So this is the uh, biannual update that kind of changes some points, changes some rules, and tries to get the game as fixed and balanced. And they've changed things a little bit in this one to make it easier. Um there's only ever going to be one active battle scroll at a time. Previously, you had to print out all these various different battle scrolls and all the updates were all over the shop. Now it's all in a single document and that document will be updated. So you're not going to get the wrong one, which is great. And they'll be carried forward until they've been printed in a book. So, for example, stuff that changes will be printed in the general's handbook or in a new edition of a, a battle tome or something. So it is always the latest published thing that is is valid. They're also highlighting rules changes in, in magenta and points changes are color coded to show if they've gone up and down. And they're also showing the change in points, too. This is all stuff that people have been screaming out for forever. And it's so much easier to look at this document and go, oh, yeah, that unit's gone down 20 points. Um, because we've done that before, haven't we, Dave? We've been writing kind of articles on these, and it is the horrible job of having two of these documents open and trying to transcribe the points over to get them right. Yeah, it's going to be a lot easier having it in a, a nicely formatted sheet telling us the differences. Yeah, absolutely. But what was interesting as well, um, Matt Rose from the design studio goes a bit into kind of what they're looking for for Age of Sigmar. So they think that factions should have a win rate of between 45% and 55%. And 60% of war scrolls should be using at least 5% of army rosters. And then also universal war scrolls should be using 10% of army rosters. Basically, this means that 
they don't want people taking the same list for everything and the same universal stuff being taken in every army. Stuff that isn't taken should be taken more. And stuff that's taken all the time, maybe it's a little bit too strong. So it is quite interesting how they're, how they're looking in that. At the minute for AOS, Beasts of Chaos, Daughters of Cain, Disciples of Zinch, Maggotkin of Nurgle, Sons of Bayamat, Bone Splitters, and Seraphon are all way higher than they should be on that rating. And then at the other end of the scale, the armies that aren't doing very well are Head Knights of Slanesh, Slaves of Darkness, Ogremore Tribes, Ossiarch Bone Reapers, and Cruel Boys. Now we know Ogres and Slaves of Darkness have got books coming out in the near future. Awesome, that should bump them up. That leaves some poor armies at the bottom that need some help. And what they've said is basically what they're going to do is um, address, kind of target those areas. So those armies at the top of the scale, they're going to target some points increases on those units that are taken all the time to dissuade people from using them. There's been some of those armies at the top that work particularly well with an incarnate as well. Now, incarnate, if you're not playing against, is really nasty. You can't fall out of combat with it. It's horrific. You can feed it endless spells to power it up. Uh, they, they call out Daughters of Cain and Disciples of Zinch being armies that are particularly broken with an incarnate. We, we talked about the uh, Disciples of Zinch a few weeks ago, didn't we, where you could throw an incarnate at your opponent, lock your entire army, uh, opponent's army in combat, and then just keep casting spells and getting all your secondaries done and have a dead easy game. Yeah. So to make things, make it still attractive to take from me that want to take it, but make it a bit less of a crutch, it's gone up 80 points, which is a big jump, which means that you'd have to significantly change your army if you would want to take one. Uh, equally on the other side, all those armies that are down the bottom have had quite considerable points drops as well to, to allow you to take more models. Now, I think I did all right with the Head Knights of Slanesh when we last played them in a tournament, but it was evident I was like running out of units quicker, wasn't I? Because they just didn't keep up pace with the, with the other armies. So having a look at this, I can add a unit or two to my uh, Slanesh army now, which is good. Um, so, yeah, they've, they've also focused on... Um, the Stormcaster Cities of Sigmar, the Storm Soulbikes Gravelords, Skaven and Seraphon, and given war scrolls that aren't used very much, new options and, and points drops and try to make them more attractive. So all in all, I, I think that's a pretty positive thing. Um I guess you guys Jay, you've not played much AOS recently. Does that kind of the fact that they're trying to specifically target the, the top armies and the bottom armies and try and drag them down into that 50% win rate, does that sound like a good thing to you? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, uh, it, it'll be interesting because obviously that, that obviously has a bit bigger impact, I think, on the competitive scene. And I think I think you find most competitive players, they adjust to, to changes. So if, if one particular build is strong at a certain point in the year and then a change like this comes along and, and maybe shuffles things around a bit they adapt and they change their lists so that you know that they're taking uh, the strong units again whereas i think the more casual players certainly myself i tend to build an army list around the units that i like and the sort of theme i'm going for for my army and i don't tend to react too much to changes in points or changes in strength really of units you know when they're patched you know my my Lumineff army has pretty much stayed the same since i built it um likewise for some of the 40k armies i don't tend to rush out and paint a new unit if it's the sort of flavor of the month 
Um, so I think it's definitely going to help the sort of it'll help keep the competitive scene fresh. I think. Um, yeah, I mean, it also gives you some some new options for for um, more casual players as well. So Gloomspite Gits, for example, can now take Arachnorock Spiders as battle line, which is cool. If you want a particular particularly creepy crawly fully spider army, that is now a possibility. So that's pretty fun. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Dave, have you have you managed to have a look through the uh, the battle scores? Has that jumped out at you? The main thing that jumped out on me. Um, Aside from the, the the spider battle line thing, was the points drops on the cruel boys. Um, mm. So I think they're needed, especially on those gut rippers as well. And that doesn't just affect the cruel boys; that also affects the big war as well. So um, that that I think was was much needed. Um, one really nice change is that the shaman, the swamp called the shaman, he currently on his war scroll says that you can either do the elixir which um gives you a damage buff to your mortal wounds on your weapons um or he can cast a spell they've removed a line that says and uh, or it so he can basically do both of them now so he can do his elixir buff and do the casting um which i think is uh, i think it was odd that he had that limitation um because i know when i the few times i use my cruel boys I don't think my swamp call of shaman actually ever cast anything because he was too busy giving out the elixir. So um, it's good that he can now be he can now do both. Yeah, it always seemed a bit of a shame that that your caster wasn't really a caster who was just handing out buffs, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, so yeah, a much needed change there. Excellent. So yes, that's that's pretty cool. Um, I'm presumably we'll still see these carry on every. Uh, every six months or so now we have seen some really really cool stuff for the solar exilia in the form of lord solar leontos and the rogue or dawn battle tank dave do you want to tell us a little bit about these yeah so for the obviously we've got the the, the new astra i can never pronounce it correctly astra militarum astra militarum yeah there you go there you go game bear so there's a lot coming for them um Warhammer Community have now uh, revealed the last two surprises for the book. Uh, so I think we've seen everything now. Um, the Rogaldon Battle Tank is the Lehman Russ on steroids. So this thing's got guns on guns. It can take two LAS cannons on its turret. It can take what's called an oppressor cannon, as well as a um, like a like a not a stubber, but like an auto cannon on the side of it as well. Um, it's got guns coming off everywhere. It, it looks amazing. Um, it's even got stud on the back. So you've got this heavily armoured tank, probably a couple of guys inside of it, but one unlucky guardsman just stands on the back, no protection at all, with a, a, a like a pintle-mounted autocannon. So um, I do fear that that's probably one of the worst jobs in the Imperium. But I don't, and do you, you say that, I think that's a pretty heroic and awesome job. um so yeah a very very impressive looking tank i've not really seen many comparison shots yet but it does look um noticeably bigger than the lehman russ but obviously significantly smaller than the likes of your bane blades and stuff like that so um i know a couple of people on facebook were really impressed with it because it it definitely has a few nods to a few classic um realistic actual world war ii tanks um, which has got a few positive nods. Um, yeah, incidentally, incidentally, said said real world tanks actually had an exposed um, 
platform on the back with a gunner. There you go. There you go. I'll be interested to see the uh, sort of um, the background and law for this vehicle. Is it a new design that maybe calls introduced to the Ashton Militarum, or is it uh, an old design that they've sort of just introduced into the background, similar to what they did with the Leagues of Hometown? The reason I'm wondering is because obviously you got the Lehman Ross, which was around whilst the actual Primarch was running around as well. Was the Rogal door named in honour of a deceased Primarch? Was it was it you know pr- commissioned whilst Rogal Dawn was still sort of running around the Imperium, or or what? That's a good, that's a good question, Jay. It's a, it's a very good question. I look forward to to finding out when we can get our hands on the on the book. Um, so that was that was very impressive. Uh, and then yeah, we got today's news of um, you said his name, Matt. What it, what was his name? Solar. His name is Lord Solar Leontus. Um, who is like the, you've got your general, and then you've got this guy. Um, so we've not actually we've heard of this rank before. Um, because there used to be one many editions ago with a model. Um, but yeah, he's back and he's on a horse or a, a practically a cyborg horse. Um, they said at this point because his um his horse has been blown to bits. Um, but man, what an impressive model this is. Yeah, I, I you know what? I've seen some mixed views on the internet, and I'm like, what? This is beautiful. At first, for you know, a general on horseback in a, a galaxy full of walking knights and um, gribbly monsters, but I think it works, and I, I'm glad the horse is like very augmented because that that makes sense. You know, it, it's gonna it's gonna take a few hits, um, but no, a very very nice looking centerpiece model um, for your army. Um, sounds like he's going to be good in game as well, um, based on the Walker Markle. So, uh, yeah, absolutely picking this guy up. You, you pick him one up. See, I'm, yeah. I'm tempted. So we need to see the uh, the Astro Militarum book just to see how things work. But I'd love to be able to add one to my Death Corps Krieg. Mm. I think that'd be uh, be really fun to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine if there'd be any reason why not. They did mention previously that. Um, you know, you can have a bit of a, a, a mix and match of different uh, regiments in there. So, yeah, it's uh, it's cool. And I want one like now. Now, are you a fan of the Underhive? Yeah, I, I like a bit of the Underhive. Well, we've got a couple of new models coming, uh, particularly for the... Um, the um, particularly for the Goliaths. Now, Gorshiv Hammerfist is a character that we saw in the recent uh, campaign book, and he is a um, a, a very stimmed and buff-looking uh, Goliath. He's uh, Doctor Shiv's most remarkable success story, and he's been. Uh, it's safe to say that I think he'd fail any drugs tests because <laughs> this guy is—he is ripped, and he's kind of carrying two hammers, and I think he's got a sword in his belt. And he's just awesome. And he's got a green beard, which is also mm. a plus. And he's got a score on his hammer, which is how you know that he's ace. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I'm going to have to paint this chap up because he looks amazing. He looks so cool. The fact that he's got two hammers. Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a stimmed up stimmer. He's, um, he's a very, very buff. 
He is very, very buff, yeah. Now, if you were if you were playing a different gang, uh, there's a couple of new hangers on that you can hire as well. A brute handler who's got like shock whips and stuff and basically keeps your brutes in check. And then also a chem dealer who sells illicit drugs if um, your gang partakes. So again, both those are case. And I'm going to have to pick them up because I love me some Necromunda. Now, it's not long ago where Warcry came out with its new edition. And already the, the second box is well on the way. Um, the Sundered Fate, which pits the Chameleon Skinks, who look amazing and are accompanied by three baby pterodactyls, or terror wings, as they call them, fighting against a new gang called the Jade Obelisk. Now, these they, they look quite zinchy, but it doesn't explicitly state they're zinch. Uh, they, they worship an entity called the Speaker in the Stone who gives them power in exchange for them slowly turning their bodies to stone. And if you look at the warband, they're like their faces are slowly turning to stone and they're looking a bit more rigid. Um, yeah, I I love both of these warbands. Um, Jay, you, one of your criticisms of, of Warcry has always been the, the kind of the chaos focus, and now we've got a Seraphon warband with baby pterodactyls. Does that appeal uh, to you? Yeah, I missed this. I don't know how I missed this announcement. I, I it was only um, the, the, yesterday when I, I was looking. The 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 I think both warbands look great, and like you say, the the even the Jade um, the, the the Jade worshiping warriors they don't look too chaosy, and no. it is a bit sort of ambiguous isn't it whether they are actually worshipping chaos or not um the the um skinks themselves or the chameleon skinks oh man they're so cool i do i really really like these guys and the baby pterodactyls yeah it is great to see uh two new warbands for uh warcry yeah i i think i i like the the quote marks chaos warband because nowhere that it says that they're actually chaos they could well be an, a, a human cult who've got caught up in something you know really bad yeah, I mean Jade, Jade, Jade Magic went there. A Jade School of Wizardry as well in uh, yeah. the world that was. And so there's also a model for the the speaker in the stone, some kind of weird snake bird monster thing. Which yeah, you know, I'm not sure what that is. It looks it looks a bit zinchy, but again, is it? So I I I quite like that. I want more of this, more kind of ambiguity to to what they actually are and not explicitly a chaos warband what's really cool about about that as well is i know in the age of sigma rule book some of the really cool artwork where it shows you sort of the regular source uh, citizens in the mortal realms and it and it shows you what humans look like from the different mortal realms um and that artwork's always been really really sort of inspiring and i think with Warcry, that's what was sort of starting to see these these um this this jade warband in particular i think you know, they, they could just be human denizens of the realm of life. Yeah, exactly. So really cool. And as ever comes with some scenery, uh, I believe one of the trees is an existing gnarl oak, but there's two new um, scenery pieces as well. So again, similar to the Into the Dark, by the end of this season, you'll be able to do a full kind of like thundier kind of gnarl wood themed board, which is really, really cool. So yeah, I'm I I want to pick up this and paint up everything because I really like both warbands and if we're gonna get order warbands or yeah you know, or death or you know whatever 
in in future ones that's uh that's quite exciting now on to kind of non-model related stuff and more kind of like hobby and event kind of stuff if you live in tokyo and we do we do have some uh some some readers and, and listeners over in in japan in akihabara the warhammer store and cafe is opening on the 3rd of december so this will be the first time you'll be able to buy forge world products directly in japan as well from the center of tokyo um if you've ever been lucky enough to become to like warhammer world similar situation they have some tables in there they've got a cafe in there they've got a forge world store um yeah really really cool so if you are in tokyo check it out also if, you, if, if you're on holiday in tokyo it's in akihabara so if you're a bit of a nerd there's lots of like anime and just geeky shops i've been there it's awesome so uh yeah want to keep an eye on for our, our japanese friends now turning back to the uk we've got a lot of exciting events coming the biggest one probably warhammer fest 2023 uh 29th of april to the 1st of may it is in manchester central at the uh the building formerly known as the gmex arena i believe it used to be called yeah uh, and it's going to be the biggest warhammer fest as it's got a 10,000 capacity that's that's really really cool because i know for golden demon there was a little bit of um i guess disappointment maybe because um you know it's it's a limited capacity isn't it warhammer world being able to have it in a in a in a big arena is a really good thing um it's been at the nec or what was the place previously in um it coventry be, it used to be at the um the wasps stadium which any any rugby league fans will will know they've just got into administration um but it was at their stadium okay so so yeah so so i mean the fact that they've booked a ten thousand capacity kind of arena for it is is amazing isn't it uh, so hopefully you'll be able to go get tickets when they go on sale it the start of november the 11th of november they go up if you've not been to one before they do list on the website some of the cool stuff that's happening so there's going to be reveals these are always well worth doing we try to go to them whenever we can because you see cool stuff before it comes out uh you can normally buy like the entire range including forge world and direct only and normally some exclusives to the event as well. And that includes like dice trays and bags and dice and stuff they've done in the past. Uh, Golden Demon will be there too. There will be a s- ticket that you'll need in addition to your standard one to enter Golden Demon, but anyone with general admission can view the entries. So again, I think that's just a way of kind of control. You've only got so much space in the cabinets for the entries, haven't you? Mm. But I think people were disappointed this year that you couldn't like just enter or you couldn't just see them it was the same ticket for both and obviously it was a limited ticket so i'm gonna enter golden demon this year i've decided mm. just because just to say i've done it uh, they're also gonna have uh tournaments there as well so 40k age of sigma Warcry, underworlds and kill team there will be tournaments there you'll need a ticket to go to them personally that doesn't appeal because if you're at a tournament you're not looking at the cool stuff happening at warhammer fest but um obviously some people like that um and no doubt there'll be cool stuff to win also dave jumped on this immediately when he saw it kill team live so kill team using laser tag life-size replica las guns you you play a mission of kill team capturing objective scoring points but with your actual body and an actual las gun boys we need to do this 
Teams Brews and Brews represent absolutely. <laughs> it just sounds that amazing. Sound good. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, we'll be doing that. And uh, also new, they're going to have Hangout and Hobby Live. So there's going to be a paint and take. Uh, they've done these in a few of them where you get uh, some miniatures and you paint them up. And they've normally got some of the, the Warhammer TV guys on hand um, kind of teaching you how to go through it. This year, they've also got the Hobby Challenge, the Scrap Demon. You get a ticket for it. You get given access to basically whatever sprues you want, all the paint, all the glues, all your tools and stuff. And over the course of the weekend, you build a diorama. So having access to all those sprues to do that is something really cool as well. And I'd be tempted to do that myself. But also, for the first time, they've got a Citadel Masterclass where someone like, I don't know if it's Louise Sugden, but someone of that ilk or someone from the Heavy Metal team will be doing like competition level painting tutorials uh, in an intimate in an intimate environment. There'll be limited tickets, but you can have like a one-on-one experience with an Heavy Metal painter and learn how to paint, you know, proper good. Again, proper good. That, that really appeals to me too. And then they've also got video games, tabletop games, a whole arena with loads of stuff to play. Again, harkening back to the Warhammer, uh, what were they called? Games days of old. Games days, that's, yeah. That's been something we've really been lacking, those kind of like participation games, haven't they? Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's definitely. A, there's also <laughs> going to be community meets to meet fans and creators from around the Warhammer universe. There's going to be cosplay and there's going to be a quiz night. So, um, yeah, I, I'm very tempted to get all three days and get a hotel and just kind of have a whole weekend of nerdiness i don't know about you guys i, d- I don't know if i can manage a whole weekend but it sounds appealing to me almost certainly be there for one or two days so yeah it sounds, sounds really really fun um we need to we need to do this um uh, uh, it's been a while since we've had one i know last year they had like vip tickets and stuff as well so It'll be interesting to see what the general admission is and how much those specialist kind of events are, because I'd quite like to do like the, the master class and stuff like that. I think that sounds really cool. I think, Jay, you'd probably be of a similar mind, too, if it was like, say, you know, eight people with a heavy metal painting learning how to do like object source lighting or something. Yeah, definitely. I'd like uh, I'd like to um, uh, basic tutorials. That's what I think I'm struggling with at the moment. Yeah cool so yeah so when we know more about that we'll let you know but um it's going to be very exciting now the events team have also announced some really exciting stuff coming to warhammer world next year uh in the form of um weekday warhammer so traditionally all of the events team events are over a weekend they're really cool you go down you play some warhammer you have lunch on both days and some awesome stuff happens um, but obviously some people work weekends or can't necessarily come to an event every weekend. So they're starting to introduce some events that happen on a weekday, which is really, really cool. Uh, on Thursday, the 2nd of February, they've got the Battle for Epsilon Stanvia 9, which is a Horus Heresy one day narrative event. Uh, I don't think the event pack's out yet, but it's £20 for a single day of Horus Heresy action. Now, we we had a sneaky chat with the events team um at the, at the tournament the other day and it sounds like they've got some really really cool plans for these things maybe not aimed at you know super serious match play tournament play maybe people who haven't been to an event before and want to go to their first kind of warhammer world event and there'll be more unusual stuff so one example they gave is that they might run an event where i don't know they sell 10 
traitor tickets and 10 loyalist tickets and then you play one game all day but it's a massive 10,000 points aside a pocket um you know horus heresy massive battle on a massive table that'd be amazing wouldn't it yeah. or equally they could have an event where there's a battle going on on the big bridge feature board in warhammer world but meanwhile there's other battles going on around the room that have different effects in that main central battle and I think for Horus Heresy and stuff like that, that works so well for it that, you know, yeah, OK, you might not be on the, the big table where the big kind of like apocalypse scale battles go in, but you are doing a zone mortalis on a space station in orbit. And if you do things in that battle, it helps your allies down on the main battlefield. It's just just cool stuff like that. I uh, I applaud. So uh, yeah. looking forward to that one. I'm going to try and get tickets for this one. Uh, they've also got a one-day kill team event on the 11th of February. They've got the Bugman's Belter on the 12th of February. This is an interesting one. It, you play through a one-day Blood Bowl tournament. You then have an evening meal, and then you and your fellow gamers watch the Super Bowl together. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, so it ends at, like, silly o'clock in the morning. But again, that would be quite a fun night out, wouldn't it? I've always fancied, even though I honestly don't really know how it works, but it feels <laughs> like one of those things I need to do at some point in my life is to stay up and watch the Super Bowl and try and learn how NFL works. I know a growing number of my friends seem to be getting more and more into it, which is probably kudos to the NFL for tapping into the UK market um, with um, a lot more of these London-based games. But yeah, that sounds that sounds really cool. Well, if you if you're free on Sunday the twelfth of February, you probably want to book Monday the thirteenth off. I suspect, Dave. I suspect. But uh, yeah. you, you you rock up at Bookman's at twelve thirty lunchtime. You have your briefing. You have game one at quarter to two in the afternoon. Uh, you have a break. You have game two after that. You then have an evening meal at quarter past seven. You have game three at quarter past eight, and then at quarter past eleven, you and the rest of the attendees watch the Super Bowl together. <laughs> It just sounds really good. I'm up for that. Uh, On the 18th and 19th of Feb, they've got a grand tournament. On Friday, the 17th of Feb, again, they've got a one-day Battle Companies Middle-Earth event. So this is kind of small-scale Middle-Earth, where you've only got a handful of models. And again, I think this and the Heresy event are only £20 each for these weekday events as well, which is crazy good value. Um, And then they've got a Age of Sigmar match play event on the 25th and 26th of Feb. So loads and loads of cool stuff come in um what are your thoughts on these weekday games i mean dave i know we've spoke briefly but jay we've not really spoken to you properly since these have been announced uh are you up for some 20 pound one day warhammer during the week definitely i could see me using some of my uh, holidays on some of these days yeah i think it's a really good idea um i mean we're not too far away from warhammer world are we so i mean for some people i think it's probably a bit easier and a bit better than if you're if you're a bit further away maybe it's a bit of a pain but 20 pound for a day of warhammer and especially sort of quite unique sort of games as well by the sound yeah. of it yeah it, I, I, I suspect one downside to this is obviously you have to book your tables in advance if you want to go to a non-event game if there's now events during the week as well because i suspect at weekends it's probably quite difficult to book a table now yeah. because there's events most weekends now but uh if you've not been to one the the events team put on some amazing stuff and we'll be talking about one uh in a little bit won't we dave before we get to that though while you're at warhammer world you can now see a leagues of votan display 
where they are pulling apart an imperial wreck trying to find salvage. Now, sadly, we were we were back to back Warhammer all weekend, so we didn't get to see this in the flesh. So next time we go down, I think we'll have to look at this because it looks gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, it's a shame we didn't get to go around the halls, but uh, yeah, I look forward to checking that in person next time we're up. Awesome, and that is that is the bumper news section we've got this week, Dave. Oof, oof. that was a lot of news. I had a feeling there was a, it was going to be quite a chunky section. Now. We got to roll some dice the weekend, so let's take another pause and we'll come back with our uh, bit of a review of this weekend's event. Be right back. So over the course of the last weekend, myself and Matt descended upon Warhammer World for yet another tournament. Only this was a tournament with a twist. It was a Warhammer Age of Sigma Path to Glory tournament called Conquest of the Savage Lands. Matt, would you like to take us through a bit of the background of this tournament? Yeah, so so fans of the show will know that we've been to a couple of the uh, crusade events at Warhammer World. Jay, you came along to the first one with the, the Gene Stealer uprising that slowly corrupted the attendees of Warhammer World over the course of the weekend. And it's been ages since since we've, you know, the, the game came out, Age of Sigma, and we've been waiting for a Path to Glory event. And finally, one was announced and... Um, it looked like they were doing things a little bit differently. The tickets were on sale for four Grand Alliances. So you, you got your ticket for your, your relevant faction. And uh, over the last few weeks, we've been dripped little bits of information about, about the various kind of commanders who are going to be leading the forces. Different to a few tournaments that there's been in the past as well. This actually started with an optional day on the Friday night, which I attended. And I'm really glad that I did where we started to kind of get the, it was described as, you know, in James Bond, you always get the bit kind of before the the title credits. And that was basically what we played through there. The kind of like the, the, the pre-story leading up to the, uh, the main event itself. Essentially there's a, there's a region in Gur, the drench where some scouting parties have been sent out a while ago to, to find out what's going but they've all disappeared. No, no one knows where they are. They've, they've all vanished. And um, representatives from the four Grand Alliances have, have gathered around the drench to try and find out what happened to them. Now, on the Friday night, we kind of we, we, we started to get a little bit of information about what's happening. It's a, it's a kind of uncharted region and, and there's various kind of forces from all armies gathering together. And there's obviously a bit of a, a fight going on. On the Friday night, we managed to find an arcane artifact that looked to have five different slots in it. We didn't know what it did, but hopefully over the course of the weekend, we'd we'd discover what was happening within the drench. So on the um, as part of the event pack, you encouraged to build a, a, a range of different armies normally in your own kind of path to glory event naturally over the course of the campaign you'd grow your army you'd level up and stuff and they wanted to have an element of that kind of curve of the army size in there as well so basically you built four different army lists you had a 600 point army list for the friday night battles a thousand point army list a one and a half thousand point army list and a 2,000-point army list. And as the weekend went on, you'd use bigger and bigger armies in your battles. In addition to that, it also kind of leaned heavily on the uh, the Thundia supplement. So 
you, you were encouraged to build an anvil of apotheosis hero or if you didn't you may be level up your hero over the course of the weekend in some other way so maybe they start off in foot in the first battles and then towards the end of the game they're on a mount uh all the kind of normal path to glory stuff is in play so you'd get kind of you'd level up your unit you'd get injuries there might be some casualties and you'd find cool stuff to use over the course of the weekend so should we talk a little bit about our forces first dave what we what we were going to take so me myself i was taking my night haunt as a representative of the death faction I've, uh, I've had my night haunt for a long time and i've never really used them the the new battle time came out recently and they looked really really cool so i thought yeah let's take some spooky ghosts it was after all over halloween weekend so that kind of inspired me to create my my anvil of apotheosis character, uh, Yurishi, who um, it, my, my initial concept in my head was uh, Sadako Yamamura out of Ring, or Samara Morgan if you prefer the Western V Ring, uh, the, the, the the lesser film of the two, of course. Uh, and basically, spooky ghost girl climbing out of a well was the concept. And looking at some bits and bobs, I realised that with the body of the script of Mortis, it's quite hunched. And with a bit of conversion work, I could have it like clawing its way out of a well, built a well out of green stuff, filled it with clear resin, job done. Really happy with how it turned out as well. Um, I needed it to kind of develop into something else. So searching for, for like Japanese folklore and ghosts and stuff, I found this artwork of this creepy like ghost snake woman curling away around a tree. And I thought, oh, I wonder if I can get a mourn gull massively convert it and have it kind of like being a spooky freaky thing going around the tree so i managed to do that as well if i hadn't been moving house um i'd have maybe had time to do my kind of like third concept one that i had in my head which was um you know japanese um tory gates the big kind of like red kind of gates they have yeah. on, on those shrines and stuff and the closest thing to that in the age of sigma universe i guess is the lumineth shrine luminor so it's going to have one of them and then have this creature kind of like curling its tail around the top of it, kind of reaching out over it and then have like a, a cloak of spirits over it, inspired by the recent Doctor Strange film. Uh, alas, I ran out of time to build the third conversion. So I only had the two the two models, but I think it fit pretty well. As part of the uh, the weekend, I wanted to have a bit of an artifact that I could have in the collection and put on the shelf and then pull off and kind of go, oh, yeah, cool. I can flick through and, and learn about what's happened over the course of the weekend. So rather than having a printed army list, I had the book of Yurishi, which is basically my unofficial supplement for uh, my army. So it starts off with a load of narrative. I've got the, the four different profiles for Yurishi in there with all the different abilities that she gets all my kind of like stronghold stuff was in there all the battalions and triumphs and spells that I'd unlocked over the course of the weekend and then a full kind of like beast diary where I go through all of the different units every single unit was named with its own background as well and then I had the army lists in there um, and then basically after the quest login here the second half of the book is the diary of Yurishi so this is gathered from transcripts that have been gathered by the fabled explorer Anorio Vantalax, who you may know as the person who discovered the crashed Seraphon ship in Gur. The guy's kicking around, so I thought, you know, he'll be the guy who's translating this and finding the scraps. So 
basically before and after each game, um, I would have a little entry in here, kind of talking about the forces who've who've been seen on the battlefield, what's happening, what her kind of incentives are, and then the aftermath of the battle. Um, so that over the, the three days, I'd slowly have this story growing together in addition to whatever cool stuff that we got from the events team. So really glad that I did that because it gave me something kind of like cool to do over the course of the events. For the army itself, um, I started off with my 600 point force, which is Yurishi the Malignant, which is in her lesser force, the Brethren, a unit of Chain Rasps, uh, the Swift Death, which is a unit of Hex Wraiths, and the Sisters of Sorrow, which is a reinforced unit of Maimon Banshees. Going up to a thousand points, they are then accompanied by the Empress's Guard, which is a unit of Crane Throne Guard, Yojimbo the Shackler, who is a Spirit Torment, and the Enthralled, who is a unit of Chain Ghasts. Going up to one and a half thousand points, they were then joined by the Spirits of the Fallen, which was a reinforced unit of Spirit Hosts, and Kenji the Swordsman, who's a Knight of Shrouds. And then finally, as we get to 2,000 points, they are accompanied by Fakari the Ninja, who is a Guardian of Souls, Nakata the Scribe, a Script of Mortis, and then the Imperial Hunt, who are a unit of Glade Wraith Stalkers. Dave, tell us a little bit about your force. So I saw this Path to Glory event as the the perfect opportunity to um, put paint on an army that I'd wanted to collect for years, and that was the Skaven. Um, so the only slight downside to this is I had loads of sort of narrative ideas that I wanted to fulfil for the weekend. Sadly, because I was so busy painting the actual army, um, I, I did kind of throw it all together a bit at the last minute, which is something I've definitely I'm definitely going to learn to take on to the next event and um, have the army done nice and early so that I can concentrate on the the, the funner elements of creating a narrative for all my characters, um, creating some some cool little mechanic to to do over the weekend. Um, but as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, um, I did manage to successfully paint the majority of my army bar the vermin lord um which could potentially have been summoned via the screaming bell um so um obviously i was representing uh chaos um i will say at this point all the guys in 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 our faction were, were awesome and um, they were all very much into the narrative of things uh and were a lot of fun um so what did i take along so I had Clan Warpie. So mine was a very mixed Skaven list. Um, a few uh, other Skaven players that I was playing with, they all kind of leaned into one clan or another, whereas I, I had a more mixed approach. So uh, I unfortunately didn't attend the Friday, so we'll jump straight to my 1,000-point list, of which was led by my general, Far Snitch Warpie. He was a great seer on foot, and he was supported by his best mate, well, do you ever really have a best mate in Skaven? He's only your best mate until, you know, he can stab you in the back. And that was Bucket Norark. He was my warlock bombardier. We then had Sharp Noses Pointies, which were a unit of spear clan rats, uh, just of 20. We had Warpie's Horde, which was Warpie's personal horde of um, hand weapons, um, clan rats they were reinforced so they were 40 strong we then had buckets boys these this was a unit of free storm fiends we then had the fire starters which was a warp fire team 
And finally, for my thousand points, I had an endless spell, uh, which was Ravnak's Gnashing Jaws. Going up to 1.5k, um, adding to, um, well, first of all, Fast Hitch at that point gained his bell, so he was then mounted on them. Um, jumping into the army, we had a Warp Lightning Cannon, and we also had Skittish Fanghorn, who was my Claw Lord. Going up to the final 2,000 points, uh, we had all of the above with the addition of Snitch Hushkill, who was my Deathmaster, my assassin. And also we had a unit of 20 strong um, Storm Vermin called the Bouncers. Uh, and then finally we had a um, Plague Priest called uh, Vormbilf, um, and he was just added just to, to take up the points, really, um, of what I had painted. Um, so that was my army. Yeah, it's, it, I really like the fact that we had like multiple different sizes of army over the event as well. Um, I'll touch on, Dave didn't, you didn't manage to attend the Friday, but I'll touch on the Friday, which was really, really cool. I think they had almost half the people attending the event come on the Friday which is really, really cool. It's a little bit more free form. You you kind of just arrange the battles with somebody you knew, um, or if you didn't know anybody, the events team would assign you a partner to fight against. Uh, but luckily, there was loads of people there, and it was, it was dead easy getting the game sorted. The way that they did it was basically a, um, like a random battle pack generator as part of the events pack. And I'll give a quick shout out here to the actual pack itself, if you've been to any of the Crusade events, you'll know the drill by now. But basically a big folder and additional like pages put into it as you go through the weekend with additional lore and missions and stuff. Um, you didn't go on the Friday, but you actually got the Friday missions within your pack, didn't you, Dave? I did, which I thought was a really nice touch. Uh, I mean, the pack itself was a really nice touch. But yeah, it was it was cool that if we ever chose to, we could almost reenact the tournament from from the games on Friday, which is which is really cool. Yeah, so basically you, you rolled on a random map and some of them were quite funky. Uh, you'd roll up a victory condition of what you had to do. There'd be a twist and then each player would have a ruse, which is something uh, cool that happens. And then depending on how you kind of did in your games, you would get expedition points, which would unlock things for the for the proper tournament start on the following day. So my first game was against the awesome Charles Nolan who is an awesome, you know, really cool corn player. He's got some gorgeous armies. I managed to play him at every uh, throne of schools that we both attended. By chance, we're not like grudged or anything, and always had an amazing time. And we spent like the first half hour of the battle basically writing the storyline of what had happened so far. It's something that me and Charles always tend to do at these kind of events, and it was really, really good fun. For a little bit of flavour, I'll just kind of read what's in Yurishi's diary. So, Star's Day, the 28th of Windscal. I, I actually use the uh, the Soulbound book to find out what the days of the week and the days of the month are called in the Mortal Realms. Uh, on the 17th hour, a force of warriors in Thrall, so the dark good god Corn approaches. Their leader, Glana Goldencook, mans from his extravagant chariot. Glana seems to be seeking riches scattered around the Nurgle-infested battlefield. We must stop them. However, a rampant monster may help or hinder. A close battle was fought. However, due to the trickery of Yuishi's forces, the Chaos Warband was denied the gold. 
In a weakened form, Yurishi was killed. However, it was all for the greater good. So it was a victory to the, the Night Haunt, and I unlocked four expedition points for beating Charles. Uh, we then paused for lunch, and, and a Mr. Ben Johnson challenged me to a fight with his gargants. Um, and I've been beaten by Ben whenever I played him, and I was very happy to beat him the first time I did. Um, he he was he came unstuck with the Emerald uh, House. So if you play the new Night Haunt, they've got an ability where you roll D3 uh, plus one. That many units get hit by spirits at the end of battle, the battle round. Uh, you roll a D3, you add one if it's a monster, and that's how many more wounds they take. Brutal. Now considering that Ben's army consists of three three. Um, gargants just normal vanilla gargants that meant that at the end of every battle round they were getting hit by these spirits so as long as my general could heroically cower in the corner and not get killed by gargants hopefully over the course of the game that the gargants would fall and they did so that was a an unusual game but a fun one uh, and then finally i was fighting uh, paul and his luminous i think you might have played paul over the weekend as well uh, dave uh, really, really gorgeous Lumineth army in gold. And gold Lumineth look amazing. And again, really, really fun battle. Um, victory again to the Nighthorn. So by the end of Friday, I was on four wins. Uh, sorry, three wins, which was unheard of. I'm not normally good at rolling dice. Uh, so I had the full 12 expedition points I needed. So I go to the front. I let, I let Steve know what I've, I've got. And uh, my my character had discovered the artifact that would be like key to the the events of the Saturday and Sunday. And he also got some glory tokens. So there was a physical resource or multiple physical resources yeah. that we collected over the course of the weekend in the form of gold tokens that we could either use on our own army to enhance it or we could we could spend over the weekend. Now, at this point, we didn't know what it was for, just that it was something precious to keep hold of until the weekend. So moving on to the Saturday uh you picked me up dave and i was like oh my god it's amazing i can't wait for you to see everything we get there and the the main kind of like i guess gimmick of the weekend is that there was a massive map constructed with loads of hexes in each corner was an outpost of one of the four grand alliances and over the course of the weekend similar to the game risk we'd be kind of spreading out through this map in like a meta game happening outside of the games themselves where we'd be trying to control different territories, sweep into other areas, kind of reinforce our strongholds to try and spread ourselves across the map as best as we could with various underhanded and possibly illegal shenanigans going on behind the scenes. Um, On the first day, we were introduced to our, our faction commanders. So I was led by the Bard, also known as Bones, who had been sent to the Drench to search for the, the missing forces of this undead expeditionary force that had gone ahead of us. The various death commanders kind of all kind of talked through the backgrounds of our armies and our motivations. And there was a bit of a divide between those who were loyal to Nagash and the more, let's say, unorthodox members of death who maybe wanted to kind of break out of Nagash's uh, spell, much like my character, Yuishi. So it was really, really nice to manage to chat to all the guys and talk about, you know, what we were going to do. And it's one of those where I guess these kind of events kind of lives or dies on the engagement and participation of the characters. Could you easily have a faction where 
nobody kind of like gets into character and kind of gets into the spirit of things and while it might not be everyone's cup of tea initially it might be a bit kind of anxious about that or hadn't written a backstory by like the end of game one all my team had kind of like leaned into the into the narrative and and the background and the kind of the 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 cross-faction politics going on i'm sure we'll talk about over the weekend um now obviously i didn't see kind of the antics from all the other grand alliances dave do you want to give us some insight into the madness that was chaos yeah well some of the some of our members were particularly mad and they they were actually my over skate my fellow skaven players um so yeah we all met up um on the saturday morning and had a bit of a a briefing an introduction we um, you know, said who we were, what what army we brought, you know, a bit of a background of our on our generals. Um, I know we had one of our chaos um, members was looking to take the throne of chaos itself, quite an ambitious goal. Um, but you know, everybody has to have a, a mission and everyone needs a hobby. Do. Everybody needs a hobby. So um, yeah, it was great fun. Um, Warpenstein, uh, a master molder, was our uh, um, Skaven Commander. Um, Do- Doctor Warp- Warpenstein. Doctor- he didn't get to medical school to be called Mister, did he? Uh, Doctor Warpenstein, um, aka Steve, um, was um, he was an absolutely fantastic leader. I've got, I've got to say, um, he briefed us all. You know, he showed us the artifact that you've mentioned that we were having to unlock over the course of the weekend. Um, you know, gave us a, a run through because. They didn't want to assume that everybody knew what Path to Glory was, and um, Steve wanted to make everybody aware of how it was going to differ to a normal Path to Glory, because obviously the difference would be in a tournament, we weren't doing things like um, uh, rolling for... The lists were already there, so it wasn't really about capturing our own territories to grow our armies, because we already had our army lists. It was more concentrating on stuff for the faction uh, and then our own quests really for like leveling up our units and such. So, um, yeah, it was great chatting to everybody. And um, you, you mentioned about involvement, Matt. I was actually a little bit nervous to begin with. But, but just as you said, after like the first game or two, especially as you're feeling more relaxed with your teammates, you're suddenly getting a lot more into character and getting a lot more involved. Um which makes things, you know, really fun and frantic and um, everybody kind of wants to get involved and, and help the team. So, yeah, yeah, it was really good as we as we went into game one. Yeah, so so this was, again, very much a path to glory kind of weekend. It wasn't, there wasn't any kind of match play components in here. So you don't have to worry about grand strategies or battle plans or Galician veterans or any of the stuff that, maybe people new to the game might find a little bit intimidating. In fact, the first battle plan was, was very, very simple. It was simply a thousand point battle. Uh, the, the player that kills the most points worth of models wins the game. Dead easy. Nice little icebreaker to kind of get into, which I thought was really nice. Yeah. Um, that is good, actually, because I, I do think Age Sigma, I think it's not the most uh, sort of beginner friendly game out of the box if you're playing match play. Um, and I think, you know, all the combination of all the stuff that comes in the general handbook, you mentioned Galician veterans, battle tactics, grand strategies. I think it, it, it must be quite refreshing just to take the game back a step, just to rolling dice and fighting models. That's it. If you've got your, your path to glory quests that you can go on as well, 
And over the weekend, um, our faction commanders would offer individuals in our faction the chance of a, of a quest to personally serve Nagash in our case. Um, the first one that was unlocked over the course of the weekend was the option to, to mine for Realmstone. It quickly became apparent that this artifact that we'd found, perhaps if we put Realmstone in the right combination on the device, would unlock something. So we felt that, okay, we will dedicate two people on the team to pretty much forsake the objective of the mission and just try and mine as much Realmstone as they can so that later on we can come back and, and try and see if we can get this artifact working. I, I thought that was really, really cool. Um, in the first mission, I... Um, I was trying to mine some some uh, realmstone myself just to to help the greater good. And um, the first game that I had was against Jez from the studio. He was the um, the the frankly terrifying destruction leader in the most horrific ogre costume I've ever seen in my life. It was it was a thing of nightmares. Um, I don't, I don't think it lasted more than two games because he was he was sweating in that get up. But it was a really, really fun game. Um, it was really, really close. Yurishi managed to take the battle as well, which was really good. Um, and somehow managed to end the game with 20 glory. And it was quite satisfying coming back to the table with like handfuls of gold coins to add to the, uh, the faction coffers. We also found out at that point that depending on whether you won the game or if your general survived or if you achieved various other secret objectives that were kind of unlocked over the course of the weekend you also got a secondary resource for your faction spoils of war now all this stuff you could keep and use for yourself during the normal path to glory stuff or you could put it into the kind of like uh, the coffers for the army so for example you you could use that glory to uh, you know reinforce your units or, or you know buy extra stuff but if all of the death guys pulled it together we could maybe build a bigger stronghold which would then allow us to hold on to more territories mm. the way we got territories was by using the spoils of war resource that we got for for winning the battle or keeping our general alive which then suddenly changed the way you thought the game because you thought okay maybe i won't commit my general because that extra spoil of war could be a, a tipping point in the big overarching kind of map battle that happened between games um i think talk through your game one first dave and then we'll talk on kind of like the first map session and, and all the stuff that happened there sure so so my first game was against paul who you mentioned that you fought on friday with the gorgeous gold uh lumen f um paul was an absolutely fantastic opponent um, it was nice to play a Luminef army, and, and you've obviously mentioned this kind of um, Jay. He was running stuff that I've never seen on the battlefield. So he had a unit of Blade Lords, and he had a Ballista, for example. Um, it, it was nice to sort of play, you know, you expect, maybe not now, since a new book, but you expect to play like units of Sentinels and stuff. Um, you had none of those. But you had this Ballista, which was horrifying it was an absolute hero hunter um and as you mentioned matt you kind of wanted to keep your general alive for those spoils of war um so very quickly my grace here very skaven like disappeared behind a rock because there was <laughs> no chance he wanted to get assassinated by this from the back exactly yeah from this this um mental um blister so it, it was a good game um unfortunately i, I never really 
I couldn't I couldn't really say that I gave him a hard game, unfortunately. Um I, I did I did lose and whereas as we'll sort of see as we talk about the weekend's games, there were there were some games that maybe escaped me. This one definitely didn't. I, I never really felt like I'd got a real foothold in this game, but um never mind. It, it might have been a loss. Um my Grace here did try to make a run for it to the corner of the board, um, but was chased down, hunted by a unit of um, uh, the kangaroo guys, Jay. I can't remember what they're called. The Hurricane Wind, wind Chargers. Yeah, they're a lot quicker than a rat running. Um, <laughs> so um, he was unfortunately tracked down and, and, and skewered. Um, so I sadly lost the game and lost my general. But... Um, yeah, it was an absolutely um, fun game. Uh, like I say, no objectives, just just try your best to, to kill as many as the opponent as possible. And I did, you know, my Stormfiends did kill some um, elves, so it wasn't a complete loss. Um, but yeah, I did lose my, my first game. So like, like I said earlier, once, once we'd finished the game, all the, the faction commanders called their armies together and we had a bit of a, a secretive faction meeting in each corner some factions louder than others you know death were quite you know silent and eyes on the plot prize some of the other factions were a bit more lively and may have had an annoying chance that was enacted within i don't know about half an hour into the event starting well 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 fully enough matt so when i should have mentioned this earlier when we had that first meeting we had we were all assigned different things or a lot of us were assigned different things and one particular um, quite loud but very very nice um, Skaven commander was given the, 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 the job of creating a chant that we would do at the end of every uh, faction debrief or briefing um, so that's where that chant came from and I'm very happy with uh, what he created there. I'm sure I'm sure Dave will insert that during the podcast as well to, Absolutely. to, to give anyone who went to the event nightmares for the rest of their days <laughs> Oh Uh, but yeah, so but we all got together and we had we had the artifact in front of us, which was a nice little physical prop. And there was, like I said earlier in the kind of the, the lore bit, there's five slots to put uh, Realmstone into. After the battle, people who'd been mining it drew a certain number of cards, and and some of them were like different buff abilities, some of them were different pieces of Realmstone or Warpstone. And the the main kind of like narrative drive was us trying to unlock it through if you have you ever played the board game mastermind where you put pegs in a certain combination and you kind of know if it's in the right place or it's the right piece in the wrong place or it's not on there at all that's essentially what we were playing between games with this artifact and realmstone but obviously you know aos flavored meanwhile the uh the valiant commanders had to um kind of manage the gold that had been gathered by their force and decide whether to to buy additional strongholds to kind of reinforce our different uh, areas of the map that we'd unlocked. And we also had this spoils of war currency that, that we mentioned earlier. So essentially, if your faction was doing well and your team was winning games and keeping the general alive, you'd have more of these beads than the opposing teams. After the kind of little kind of uh, meeting... All of the factions would head to the grand map in the centre and a representative from each faction would sit down. Starting with the player who was losing, I believe, mm-hmm. um, the, 
the 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 representative would put their beads on the map so different territories had a different uh, number of beads that would be needed to initially buy it so a, a rubbish territory might only need one bead a decent territory might need five beads for example they would put their beads on and claim it now the catch is that a faction can take over that territory by putting say say if chaos had five beads on a territory order could take it by putting six beads on a territory one bead of chaoses would go back to the events team and the remaining four would go back to their faction leader to put out somewhere else basically representing their forces some of them being killed and the rest of them being driven back at first we none of us were very close to each other so there's some initial kind of like expanding um very early on the forces of destruction had decided that they wanted to go to the beach so their tactics was make a path from their faction stronghold to the beach and hold the sea that was the extent of their tactics at the start i'm sure it worked out for them really great um chaos i think you kind of reinforced some sections up at the top didn't you we did we did um wow wow destruction uh, sorry death had a plan what we were going to do was kind of keep quiet that was our kind of thing deathly quiet and let order and chaos and destruction all strap about amongst each other while we quietly take the entire bottom of the map with the plan we'd reinforce the kind of like the closest faction to us was order so we wanted to put enough beads on those adjoining kind of territories to make order have to waste a lot of resources to come after us and ultimately they decided not to bother because it would be expensive for them to push into our territory that meant that we could just put minimal beads on all the other territories to spread ourselves as wide as possible now it could have gone disastrously wrong if there was some like cards such as a realm gate that would allow a faction to pop up in another part of the map and, and push out from there but luckily i think we maybe we only had the the, the realm gate and no one else did i don't know but I, never, um, I don't remember us having a realm gate card at any point so may, maybe we were lucky and managed to keep hold of the realm gates but uh, but that was the plan. I I thought it was a essentially we did that after every battle, and I thought that was a really fun kind of mechanic. Yeah, I think um, it perhaps could have been explained a, a little bit better. But over the course of the weekend, I I got how it worked, uh, and I used to, I really enjoyed watching the the territory phase, um, shall we say, of um of of the weekend, uh, and it all got very 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 tactical, um, and, and took up quite a lot of our discussion time, but. We, over the course of the weekend, we didn't spread out an awful lot. But we wanted to make sure we kept what we got because we actually had some quite powerful buffs from te- having the territories that we had. Yes, yeah, so I mentioned that depending on which areas of the map that you had, your entire team unlocked some new abilities to use within games. And then you could spend the gold that your faction had acquired to upgrade those territories to give additional effects as well. So, yeah, Dave, do you want to tell us about some of the cool ones you had? So, yeah, for example, we had... um, There was quite a few that affected the out-of-game experiences. Um, So, for example, when rolling on um, your casualties, you could could get, like, a a free re-roll to see if um, you lost any of your... um, any of your units or any of your models... Um, you got pluses and minuses to, to modifying your renown and your glory points. But some of the more exciting ones were, for example, we had one where we could re-roll all um, chants. So if you had a priest in your army, you could re-roll all their chants throughout your games. 
the absolute most powerful one we had, which we unlocked before game four, was in battle round two, the entire enemy army were minus one to wound in both combat and Ooh. shooting, which is very powerful. So it, we we decided that we wanted to make sure, okay, we weren't going to be spread out as far, but we would not be losing these key territories to our opponents. Yeah, it's so I really enjoyed that. I thought it was fun, and uh, it was one of my favourite parts of the weekend, the, the kind of tic-tacs of the team gathering around the map and working out where we could push, where we needed to hold on to, because our plan all along was trying to spread ourselves as wide as possible. That meant we had some very weak territories, but we kind of gambled on destruction, just going mental and attacking chaos and order, which they did, and they burnt themselves out, but it was a load of fun. Um, so going on to the second mission, this one was a little bit different because, again, it had some physical props, didn't it, Dave? This one, yeah, it did, yeah. So, yeah, just tell us about it. So you, you received uh, some secret orders, didn't you? So I did, yeah. So we were quickly told um, when we had the battle plan for number two that there would be some messages distributed amongst some of the, the, the players. Um, and I was nominated as one of three from chaos to receive said message um so in essence what i had to do was ensure that no matter what happened during the game my general had to survive so that i could take this message back to my commander if my general was to die then i would instantly have to hand over this letter to my opponent we had no idea what was in these letters did we uh, absolutely no idea at all I was going to say, they're the, the really cool props, like sealed with wax seals yeah, and stuff, they were, weren't they? Yeah. So, I, I, you know, I kept this, you know, in, in my folder thinking, oh, my goodness, you know, a grace here, still on foot at this stage, is not the most, what's the word? Defensive? Defensive model in my army. So, um, he he was going to get surrounded by rats no matter what. Um <laughs> So as well as having this um, message sort of mechanic, um, the actual battle itself was was a little similar to the first one in which it was kill points, which was going to decide the overall victor. However, it was um, a hunter and a quarry kind of setup. So I'd been chosen as the hunter. So I was um, deploying half my army in the centre of the battlefield, including my general, uh, whilst the other half had to wait until turn two to come on. My opponent was the quarry, and they got a deployment edge as well as the flanks to deploy upon, further making me concerned for the welfare of my grace here <laughs> because I was practically surrounded. Um, it, 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 my opponent's name was Paul, and he had uh, so this is two Pauls, so I've got the two Pauls so far. Um, he had a glorious gloom spite uh, squig army which was very very cool um and this had one of the most um wasn't the most stressful ending to to a game this weekend but uh nearly nearly as much um it was a very bloody battle there wasn't a lot left at the end um but he had a colossal squig and now i've never faced a colossal squig before oh um, i have have you uh they're a lot of fun aren't they um yeah they are good he had that and his um is war boss trying to get through 40 clan rats for most of the game <laughs> um but once they cleared them they um the colossal squick had a, a really good charge on storm fiends killed them which was a large proportion of my kill points 
Um, so really, I had to kill the Colossal Squig to be within any chance of winning this game. I took it down to three wounds, and I, no matter what I threw at it, I could not take away those three wounds. So at the end oh. of the game, unfortunately, his Colossal Squig lived, which ultimately swung the kill points heavily in his favour, um, so I lost the game. However, however, the most important thing is that my grace here survived. I managed to keep him alive. There was about halfway during the battle, there was a little opening, like a parting, where a unit of squigs had the potential to charge my grace here. And I could see the temptation of my opponent's eyes, but he decided not to. Um, and he decided to mine instead. And I was like, oh, goodness for that. Because 100% my, my grace here would have died. Uh, 100%. So um, I was really pleased. I could go back to my commander and go, "Yes, sir, I have, I have got the, I've got the envelope," which actually proved to be quite invaluable because it had some very key information on the artifact that we were putting together. Uh, and actually, I think we were one of the first of uh, the Grand Alliances to actually unlock our artifact, um, and this was a big help towards that. Because it had some like sort of big clues and instructions on how this thing worked. Yeah, so basically after after each game, you, you could put pieces of realmstone into the artifact in a combination, and then lights on the artifact would light up whether you've got them in the right place or not. But at the start of the event, we didn't actually know what those lights meant. There was a bit of guesswork in the team. We're trying to deduce what it meant. But uh, the death team. I'll quickly run through our game. We I was. Um, Somehow managed to fight the commander of order, a noble Ulf Kywin, uh, commanded by Phil uh, and his Stormcast Eternals. Uh, again, it was, a, it was quite an interesting scenario because you got you had to put your general and a unit or two, you know, however many you had, in the, in the centre of the battlefield with the reinforcements coming later in the game. Um, I at this point, Yurishi was quite weak. Um, so she was a juicy target. So immediately they ran off and um, the Stormcast were quite slow. But there was a crack of lightning and these Annihilators dropped down, what, seven inches away from Yurishi. If they'd have made the charge, she'd have been dead and the game would have been over. They rolled a four. Oh, no, it's fine. It's fine. Phil, Phil had command points. He re-rolled it. They rolled a four again. Unfortunately, that meant they were right in my board edge. And my entire Nighthorn army could deploy outside of three inches of them and then just murdered them. Yurishi could scuttle away to safety while I then pick on the rest of the army. Uh, meanwhile, I had been chosen by Nagash to annihilate the heroes of the Stormcast. And luckily, I just sent the uh, the uh, Emerald Host on the heroes because that way I could hide at the back. And then at the end of every battle round, kind of sheets of ghosts would pour down and attack the heroes. Uh, and I managed to get a clean sweep. Every single one of his heroes was dead. His general was dead. My general was alive, and we legged it. So I'm, mm. I got a big, a big pile of spores of war for completing that kind of like secret mission. Um, and then, yeah, the death had done particularly well in that game, and we had like three or four letters that we'd stolen off other armies. Um, unfortunately, most of them were 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 were, were um, fake ones. So one of them said that Nagash was a false prophet. How rude! <laughs> and one of them said that, "Do you really think that I'd leave these important in, uh, instructions with a nobbler?" Something like that. 
Um, but luckily we had one of the correct ones that we'd stolen and inside it, it told us what the colours on the artefact meant once you'd locked the realm stone into it. So likewise, maybe a little bit after Dave, because you had a bit of a head start, you know, having that letter in your hands at the start, we um, we started to, to kind of unlock the uh, the pattern on the artefact. And at, by this point, destruction had just gone on a wag across the map and then immediately burnt themselves out. So there was like little pockets of Uruks and, you know, ogres and stuff scattered throughout the map. Um, they managed to besiege the Order capital, which also then put Order on the back foot since there was a million uh, destruction armies outside their gates. While Chaos, I think you'd been caught in a bit of the crossfire with um, destruction rolling over you, hadn't you? We had, yeah, yeah. It was it was at this point really where because um, we in in the first sort of territory phase we had tried to spread out a little bit, but what happened with destruction that that's really when we decided to double down on our own territory and kind of just have a a very strong footprint of of our own territory, especially with the buffs that we started to get. But yeah, it all kind of happened after that. Yeah, and obviously the the side effect of this was that. Order were kind of like backed off into a corner. Chaos were backed off into a corner. Destruction had gone rampant across the map and then burnt themselves out, which left the entirety of the bottom half of the map free for death to just roll across, putting death in a very strong position. Uh, going into the third game of the and the final game of the first day, the Beast Slayer was a bit of a different game. Uh, it used the monstrous denizens rule. So there was a monster on the battlefield that could swing from side to side. Uh, again, Another really, really fun game. Um, I was against um, Alex, who came over from Norway with his uh, Slaves to Darkness. Really, really fun game. He he managed to beat me, um, which was my first defeat of the weekend. But considering I was five games in by then, mm-hmm. and I'd won every one so far, I was quite happy with that. Um, I, I'd been tasked to mine um, Realmstone there. And I, I went for the win where really I should have backed off and started mining some more Realmstone. But I, I, I really wanted to defeat this this Chaos Army because it was really pretty. Mm-hmm. But uh, unfortunately, the, the Morngall was um, on on his side for, for a lot of the game. And yeah, there was it, it was tricky. It was tricky to get through. There was a point where if my general had killed his general, I might have swung it. But as soon as she died, then, you know, everything started crumbling. But no, it was a really, really fun game. Uh, sadly, didn't have many resources to take back to my commander at the end of that one, though, due to the defeat. I um keeping up with playing against people with, whose names began with the letter P. My third game was against Peter, um, and he had a Nighthawk army. Um, so this was a really nice Nighthawk army with a black coat, a couple of big units of blade guys. Um... We used my Moor Crusher, or we rolled off, and it was my Moor Crusher that was going to be the, the monster. Um, Peter was going to have control over it in his first turn. He gave me the first turn, though, so I promptly decided to buff up my Stone Fiends, shot the Moor Crusher, charged the Moor Crusher, and killed the Moor Crusher. So I was like, well, that's it. We can kind of concentrate on the battle plan um, now that that's out of the way. Um, however, I've not really played the Nighthaunt with the new book, and um, the maneuverability of the Nighthaunt was incredible, uh, and he appeared basically all around me. Um, I managed to to fight him off, 
Um, it was it was it was a super close game. Again, there was there was really not a lot left. Um, but pivotally, what had happened is he'd, he'd left my screaming bell with only a couple of wounds left. Now, anybody that plays Skaven will know that if your screaming bell only has a couple of wounds left, you're almost guaranteed to get a vermin lord uh, on a on a on a d6 roll. All I needed to do was win priority. I think if I'd won priority, I would have not guaranteed, but I've almost guaranteed to have got a vermin lord, which would have then cleaned up what was left because there really was not a lot left at all, uh, and won me the game. Um, but as it was, he he won priority, double turned me, and um, sadly took me out, um, killing my general as well. So like you, Matt, I, I went back to my commander with very little to show for it, unfortunately. Boo. So, so yeah, that was really fun. So we played the, um, the 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 three games on that day, and we did the final map phase. And I think it was clear that Death were winning at that point because we had half the map, but. You know, there's still everything to play for going into the uh, the final day. So, luckily, the the clocks changed and we had a bit of a an extra lion in that morning. But before long, we were back at Warhammer World for the uh, the culmination of the event. Now, going into the fourth um, mission, while on the first day, all of the missions have been basically kill more points in your opponents, but there were some like little twists and stuff in there. The second day were a bit more thematic. So, the fourth one was basically a siege mission. So one player was the defender and there was three uh, terrain features they had to set up as their kind of like stronghold. And and basically they, they won the game if they had control of all three of those scenery pieces by the end of the game. If you had a faction terrain piece, you could set that up as your as your kind of like uh, your your um, stronghold. And then the rest of the scenery was set up on the map, and then the other force had to basically come in and try and take the stronghold off them. So really, really fun scenario, and I, I kind of fancy doing some like siege games and stuff because it was really, really fun to do. Uh, I was playing against Matt Rose from the studio with his um, Lumineth, and this is possibly one of the closest games of Warhammer we've had, where it really came down to the last turn. It was so, so good. Um, obviously Matt's a very good player yeah, he's in the studio but it, it really came down to the, to the end of the game and he if I'd have managed to keep um, his units of I forget what they're called Jay guys with the big hammers uh, Alarith Stoneguard yeah. yeah they they'd done a great job of defending this citadel it's probably what you'd throw at defending a citadel <laughs> Um uh, to, the, he had the big moo cow, the uh, I forget what it's called. Avelador or the, just a generic one? A generic, generic giant. Alarith mountain, mountain spirit. Yes, yeah. one of them. Um, he he was unfortunately pulled down by ghosts. He generic. Uh, yeah, like a woman kill. Pretty much, yeah. So so while a lot of his stuff ignored rend and stuff, but then all my stuff ignored rend. So. Just weight of attack from a million <laughs> ghostly hands managed to drag him down. And then my units were quite quick to keep like harassing his unit. So it was a bit of a war of attrition because he was pretty tough to kill. I was pretty tough to kill. He could make his stone guard have three wounds, which gave them a little bit more survivability while hacking through ghosts. But obviously the ghosts could come back as well. And if I'd have managed to, I think in the final turn, he'd there was a single blade guard. 
Blade Lord, I forget what they're called, the ones with the samurai swords. Yeah, uh, Blade Lord, yeah. Blade Lord, he was still alive and I should have killed him in the previous turn, but he managed to take down the Knight of Shrouds. He managed to get into the fight against the chain gas that were kind of harassing his casters. Um, meanwhile, the Emerald Host is crashing down on his heroes, as had been the tactic for most games that weekend, and all his support heroes have started dying to the, to the Emerald Host. But by then, his, his Stone Guard were in position where, if they needed to, basically you had to control two out of three of the objectives for a minor win or all three for a major win. I nearly had two of them, but the stone guard managed to just swing it in numbers. So we had a minor win. So really, really good. I always like it when it's a close game, and especially when it's a cool, unique scenario like that. We were saying back when we started third edition and we did some videos on the site, playing through all the path to glory missions. There were some missions like that and they're, they're way more fun, in my opinion, than your standard kind of grand strategy style one. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, definitely. Um, that sounded like you had a really close game, Matt. It was really fun. It, it was really, really good. It could not have been closer than mine and Jem's game. So for this first game on the Sunday, I was playing into friend of the podcast, Jem. Uh, hello, Jem, if you're listening. I hope you are. Um, a superb opponent. Man, I think we were both needed to sit down after this game because it had the most stressful ending. (laughs) What I've not mentioned during the course of this um, tournament roundup is that the gnashing jaws on the spell was was doing the business. Uh, It did really well on the Saturday. But oh my days, I I lost count how many orcs that thing chomped through uh, in this game. It, 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 It won me the game, basically. It was a bloodbath. There was everything basically died. I was um, trying to defend the three objectives. Very quickly became two. Very quickly became one uh, objective. <laughs> um, but right at the end, I managed to kill off um, all but one noblar. So destruction had an extra model. They had the sneaky noblar that they were all given with his own little war scroll card. He wasn't very good. You didn't want to get in combat or anything. And he was there to spectate. And I think they got some bonuses or something, Matt, for if they witnessed something really cool or survived the game or something. Um, They got something very cool. Well, at the very end of the game, I had a warlock on one of the, um, the, the, the battlements. The other two were still held by Gem because he'd had units on them last. So what my warlock was able to do in the final turn was to jump through an ore hole, pop out in the middle and take over the middle objective. So I would, in essence, have two of the three. However, Jem realised he had this nobbler probably a turn too late. <laughs> and he thought, if I can run him over in my final turn, he could take back the objective that my warlock originally had, thus winning in the game because he would have had two and I would have had one. Uh, he just needed to roll a six on his advance, which sadly <laughs> he, he rolled a three and he failed to make it. But oh, I mean, it looked like I wasn't. There was no way I was going to win. Then it looked like actually maybe I could win, and then I couldn't, and then I could again. It's. It, I mean, you two, you two have said this all along when we've played games. Age of Sigma never seems to be over until it's over. There always seems to be some way where you can almost claw it back. And that was definitely, this game was, was one of those. Um, 
but an amazing game. Probably my favourite game of the weekend if I had to choose. Um, but I did manage to sneak a win, finally. Um, my general died, but pff, who cares? I actually finally won a game. Amazing. So at this point, the storms that have been covering the centre of the board had kind of lifted, and there's new territories to spread into. And there was a lot of... of, of, of um, tokens dumped down on certain tiles wasn't there i think order put the majority of all their tokens left in a single territory in the center ring mm. um destruction by then i think the, possibly game over for destruction by then they uh they were limited in their options and chaos had started pushing on again hadn't you well we the whole of the first day we were we were bottom of the rankings actually but when we came in on the sunday we jumped to second and um, we had a lot of spoils after that game four. So we were in a really strong place um, going into game five. And we were we were quietly confident that we could overthrow death. We, we did some maths. We'd had you a, did some maths. You we did, did some maths. maths. We, we'd had a chat to, you know, a few people. You know, we might have bribed a few people just to get an idea of what we would have to do to overthrow death in the final game to, to now win. i think it's safe to say by this point the forces of chaos were being desperate there's lots of subterfuge going on <laughs> at one point the chest of gold was stolen from the events team and they had to buy it back using spoils of war tokens i believe was that uh, chaos was responsible for that I cannot confirm nor deny these uh, rumours or allegations. There, there was spies checking out people's um, artefacts. There was all sorts of shenanigans. There was, there was illicit sales going on, black market warp stone purchases. Yeah, chaos were playing dirty by this point. Um, it wasn't yeah. just us. It wasn't just us. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was it, it was really fun and that was part of the fun of the event various spies about and lots of shenanigans going on um we believed that we'd cracked the um the artifact by this point as well we weren't we weren't going to be sure until the final game but we'd we'd cracked the artifact we had loads of tokens and we poured it all into the center so we had a very strong kind of finishing position which essentially meant that in the final game as long as we won enough games we were guaranteed victory unless something went wrong. So no pressure, but death had to win some games going into game five. Game five was amazing. So the mountain in the center of the map opened up. We saw the kind of, the kind of podium that we had to put this artifact into so we could get in and get the treasure that was inside the mountain. Unfortunately, there was an incarnate defending this. So, between the two armies that had assembled, this incarnate would be, would roll off every turn to see who had command of it. And if you've not faced an incarnate before, they are terrifying. You can't um, move out of combat from it. You can't kill it unless you you basically keep causing wounds to it over a turn. And in the Battleshock phase, the incarnate rolls 3d6. If it rolls under the number of wounds allocated to it, it loses a level. If it doesn't, then it heals all its wounds back. So basically you've got to kill it multiple times by doing a load of wounds. It's really, really tough. Um, I was fighting Jem and his, his uh, Uruk army that, that David fought in game four. And again, this was a super stressful down to the wire game and loads of fun. I I got to choose who went first. And it was, it was, it was, oh, it was yeah, sorry. So the person who went second had control of the incarnate. 
So that is a massive incentive for going second in this battle because they can't. It's you know it's 480 points worth something like that. It's a, it's a it's essentially an extra quarter on your army if you go second. But I know Oryx are quite quick. I've played Dave's Oryx and I really didn't want to give Gem the first turn because the Nighthorn get a lot of bonuses for charging and my biggest advantage is man- maneuverability. I kind of give that up if I if I go second. So I thought, okay, what can I what have I got that I can deal with an incarnate? I had a big block of reinforced spirit hosts. It's like 250 points, so it's quite expensive, but with all my kind of raised dead abilities and, and ward saves and stuff, I was fairly confident that a unit of those could hold the incarnate in place for the entire game. You know, worst case if I needed to. I was sacrificing a, a, a small-ish unit so the rest of my army could be freed up killing the Oryx. Also, the fact that the spirit, if the spirit host charged the incarnate, that meant for the entire game I had control of that center point as well. And the opponent would have to come towards the incarnate to try and take the objective from me. So that was that was the tactics, and it was such a close game. There was there was oh, so much going on. It really came down to the final turn where his Gorgrunters potentially could have gone in, killed my general, killed the few units that were left because it was a bloodbath. There wasn't much left by the end of the game. Um, his general, he'd rolled up on the envelope of Apotheosis and had given him some fun narrative rules. And by halfway through the battle, after being kind of hit again and again by the spectral host, decided to flee and run to the corner of the map. If his general had been in the centre, combined with these Gorgrunters, he'd have probably been able to, to, to kill the rest of my forces. Unfortunately, my script and mortars had written his general's name in his book and he managed to actually activate the ability and did like 10 mortal wounds to it or something ridiculous. Oh. So yeah, the first time taking the script of mortis, his ability triggers and just blows up his general with mortal wounds. Meanwhile, the spectral hosts are getting his Wurzog prophet and his war chanter. I was like, yep, ghosts are going after them every turn too. So all these kind of like support characters were getting attacked by the Emerald host at the end of each turn. And ultimately at the end, the Gorgrunters were destroyed by uh, Yurishi. While she'd been weak for most of the, the campaign, in the final battle, she's 400 points of awesome because she had all the upgrades on her. Um, so she, she she was expensive, but battered whatever she hit. Um, but so with the dust was settled and we're like, OK, I think that's game. And then Jem realised, no, it's not over. There's still a model alive. The Noblar. If he could go in, <laughs> And kill Yurishi, a unit of uh, crossbows, and the script of Mortis, Gem would win the game. Now, admittedly, that is a challenge for a nobbler that only had like three attacks, I think. Yeah. Um, but he went for it and it died. <laughs> but at least he tried. <laughs> that nobbler was so close to hero in both our games. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was he was never going to win the fight, but he. Uh... <sighs> If he'd have managed to get the the Gorgrunters in and and won it though, that Nobbler would have been the difference to swing control over to Gem and win the game. That's how close it was. Yeah. If if the Nobbler had denied me victory, I wouldn't have been happy. Um, but yeah, it was an amazing game. Um, so yeah, so with the dust settled, I managed to um to to win again. Another victory for Death. I think a lot of the Death chaps had won. 
I think there's about what about eight or nine of us on the team. I think we got seven wins. So again, we were fairly confident. We'd cracked the code for the um, the artifact as well, and uh, all that was left was to vote for our, our favourite player. And what Warhammer World had done this time is a little bit different. Rather than pick a player that you'd played over the course of the weekend, each Grand Alliance would pick for somebody within their own faction to win it. Because you're all like working together over the weekend and, and you know doing all that fun stuff, I think that was quite a nice way of doing it. What do you think, Dave? No, I, I completely agree. Um, I, I, it would maybe have been nice to vote for both, vote for somebody within your faction and, and one of your opponents. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was good to to be able to vote for somebody from within your faction that really got a feel for the narrative and really drove it home. Um, I, I like that. I thought it was a good touch. Yeah. So so we get to the end of the event and all the way through this as well, they had like recorded kind of narrative bits that were played during the event. Obviously, all the events team were in costume as well. It was it was all really fun. Um, now, hold on, hold on, hold on. I did have my final game. Oh, you did? Um, Sorry, Dave. Sorry, yeah. Dave. I'm jumping no, no, ahead. No, no, it's absolutely fine. So I played um, somebody from the studio, uh, a, a lovely guy called Chris, with an absolutely gorgeous converted Cities of Sigmar army. I can't stress how lovely this Cities of Sigmar army was. Um, it was, um, so whereas you obviously gave up control to, to Gem, I was the opposite. I kept taking the second turn because... Our arms were basically separated. He was really scared of this incarnate. So I um, kept in control of it. Um, so I kept most of his army back. Um, so I wasn't really losing much. But unfortunately, as much as I tried to distract his, he had like a, a, a part of his army. It was like a massive cavalry. He had his general and a load of demigriff knights. They came swooping around my flank and absolutely maul to death my poor rats um by the time he'd, he'd taken the incarnate down um he still had units left to swarm onto the middle by the time i dealt with his general and the demigriffs i barely had anything left and there was no way i could contest the middle um a really really fun game chris was a, a great opponent um but sadly it, it wasn't to be that that general and his demigriffs so good especially on the charge um just absolutely rinse through my rats uh, unfortunately but yeah another another close and and, and fun game uh, and like you said matt we then got to have our final kind of time with our leader we got to vote for um obviously who out the faction we um we liked secretly uh, and put all the votes in and then yeah like you say it came down to the final narrative yeah, I also thrown as well. The the food was excellent over the weekend as well. Oh, like, beautiful. I mean, normally Warhammer is you know good at the events, but they they put out all the stops and there was so much choice as well. It was it was really excellent. Um, and some gorgeous armies chosen for for favorite army as well. I think because a lot of the players had kind of gone in fully to the whole like convert up a character and and just take a fun, really nice looking army. Uh, yeah, there's some gorgeous stuff there, wasn't there? Mm. Yeah, there was. But there had to be a winner of the event in there. And at the end, it found out that death was indeed ascendant. We had managed to spread over the map and win enough victories and critically unlocked the key so that we could get inside the, the mountain. And inside, there was a uh, a load of amber stone 
that our commander hacked out into nice little trophy-sized chunks that we could take home with us. So, uh, yeah, death, death. And they're really nice trophies as well. It's kind oh, of like orange clear resin, I think. It really looks cool. So, yeah, so death managed to get those. And we also all got a patch as well, Champions of the uh, the Savage Land. And it had the date of the event on it as well. I really hope that's something that Warhammer World do going forward. Because you could have like an event bag or something and, and kind yeah, of sew these patches, patches on. Yeah. yeah like, uh, like your scout badges. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But all you got one as well, didn't you, Dave? I don't know if it was the same as ours or a slightly different design. Um, I don't actually have it to hand, unfortunately. But uh, it definitely had the name of the event and the date on it. I'm not sure if it's a champion's... Um, I'll have to I'll have to come back to you on that. Lo- right? Losers of the Savage Lands, maybe Dave. <laughs> but I think it's a cool thing that that if they do it for all of them, you've got a nice little collection of badges then for your for your thing. And then after, somehow I managed to win the uh, the favourite player for Death as well. I think uh, the other guys really liked the whole kind of like narrative story and updating the diary and stuff. So yeah, that was a that was a, a massive kind of. Uh, thing for me really really kind of uh grateful that they voted for me it's it's so cool they had some new trophies at the events and it's got a different kind of faction on each side of it so there's a death side a chaos side an order side and a destruction side and they'd mounted the plaque on like the side relevant for for that grand alliance so mine when you've got it stead facing forward it's kind of got nagash on the front of it yeah. so yeah i Really didn't expect to get that because there was lots of really, really cool players on the team and, you know, getting involved and in, in kind of being part of the faction briefings and stuff. And I think it was the other players that really made the event. I mean, the event seemed to do an amazing job doing it. But you could have that same event with a bunch of players who aren't maybe maybe getting it and maybe not kind of getting into the the, the working as a team. And, and yeah, yeah. It, it wouldn't be the same event. So... If anyone is listening that was on Team Death, thank you for an amazing weekend. Same goes for me and, and my fellow Chaos players. Um, you were also really welcoming. I love chatting to all you guys and uh, you made the event an unforgettable one. We sadly didn't come away with um, the win, um, but congratulations, Matt, on both both awards. Very, very well deserved. Um, and yeah, absolutely incredible weekend. Yeah, I, I, I really hope they do another one soon because I'm eager to roll some more dice. And after three days of rolling dice, I was knackered but wanted to play more Warhammer already to the point where I think on the final, the, we had a little bit of a break, didn't we, before the final results and we were looking around the shop and trying to work out our future uh, Age of Sigmar purchases. Yeah, uh, 100%. Definitely going to go all, all in on the narrative. Um, costumes, characters, mechanics, <laughs> the works yeah it's uh, yeah it it really does add if if you've not been to one and even if you're a little bit nervous on the whole it, you know, it's a bit more um extrovert really isn't it if you're getting into character and you're doing all the kind of more i guess we're bordering on role playing slash larping aren't we on some of this stuff you don't have to go all in and dress up as a skaven but I would recommend kind of joining with your faction and and you know volunteer for your missions from your champion and get involved. You know maybe maybe your 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 kind of 
gift to the team is the strategy phase and working out the best route for your guys to go through this map. It was really nice that it was different things that had worked for different players. Um, Jane, obviously, unfortunately, you couldn't make it, but listening to kind of our escapades and seeing the pictures on Twitter, you know, would, would you be keen to do one of these in the future? Uh, it looked, it sounded awesome. The fact that you're all working together as a team in between missions, planning next moves, you've got different objectives separate from the actual battle plans. You've got that map phase, people in costumes. Oh, it, it sounded incredible. So, yeah, I mean, and, 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 and I mean, uh, the, the trophies and things that, that, that you, you, you come away with in the patches as well. I mean, they, they, they look brilliant too. I, I mean, uh, that's not why people go, of course, but it, it's really, it does really feel like they're pulling out all the stops now with the events at Warhammer world. Do, do yeah. You know, do you know the only downside, and I wouldn't even really call it a downside as much, is um, as you know from going to Warhammer World t- tournaments as well, Jay. You do get quite a bit of time to go around the exhibition hall, around the shop, um, you know, chill out in Bugmans and stuff. Because you had all those different faction briefings and things, it definitely felt a bit more intense. Um, where you know we do, we we didn't get through in the exhibition hall, for example. I think we went around the shop once, maybe twice, um, and they were only brief. I don't think I looked in the Forge World section at all because it was just so like it was so busy. But I mean, that's that's just a minor gripe because it, every element of of what we did with all the faction briefings, they were all brilliant. Yeah, I mean all the all the faction stuff and the map phase and stuff. To me, that was more fun than going through the exhibition. Well, you yeah, can go. You yeah. want to go to the exhibition? You just go the day before, or the yeah, day exactly. After. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, really, really cool. It sounded great, and congratulations, Matt, on the uh, on the on the trophies. Uh, best death you. player. That's an achievement and a half. I think it's, I was going to treat myself to a um a uh, what's it called black coach. I think that's yes. going to be on the cards at some point, <laughs> hasn't it? To mount the trophy on. <laughs> and, and this is it. And I, I, maybe I continue my soul by grave laws because I feel I'm committed to Nagash now. I've got a trophy of him staring back at me. We yeah. should we should very quickly mention that before we wrap up this section is everybody that attended the event. So we've been over the course of the weekend. We, you were given a, a little binder, which over the course of the weekend had all your battle plans in it, had all the battle plans for Friday, had all your narrative, so that all the narratives were being added to it. But then at the end of the the weekend, we were given obviously like the conclusion of the story, but we were also given a page of artifacts that were written by the Warhammer Studio team um, that obviously, you know, say, for example, Matt wants to take on his um, Nighthawk army and continue his path to glory. You could give one of your artifacts to, to one of your characters. Same goes with me with Mark Muscaven. Um, I thought that was really, really cool. Oh, you know, what I've just noticed. We, so one of the things that we were debating, we could have opened up the artifact way earlier if basically you could use warpstone in place of realmstone to force it open and i just realized that if you did that um there's a chance that the bearer of the artifact takes mortal wounds because it's not as pure i mean we opened it with pure pure um realmstone i don't know about you dave i guess you sure i'm sure one faction stole a load of warpstone and just forced the thing open with warpstone that wasn't us no we, we we cracked it good and proper Oh, nice, cool. So yeah, that's that's really really cool. I uh, I like that. We were saying what we're going to do is obviously I've put the optimistically titled volume one of my little diary. We're going to have a battle soon 
next couple of weeks we'll probably film it and put it up as a video on the on youtube of obviously my my death army has come out of the mountain with their chunk of um amber stone that's going to get forged into one of these weapons um but in, before then they they face the skaven army that has obviously just got to the mountain a little bit after us and they're probably mm. not best pleased about it yeah definitely so uh, yeah we're looking forward to that so yeah great weekend um definitely recommend any narrative events that go up at warmer world try your very best to, to attend for any events at all to be honest we've not yeah. had a bad one yet to, to be fair um so just keep an eye on Warcom. um that was quite a meaty section so i think we're uh we're long overdue uh, a break but we're not quite finished that yet though because we do have our top three coming up next So we're going to go back in time a little bit uh, and we're going to be chatting about our top three favourite Warhammer Fantasy miniatures. Now, of course, some of these miniatures are actually still in use today. So uh, some of these names might be quite familiar to you, but I have a feeling we're also going to see some absolute classics within this one as well. Um, So um, you've you've obviously heard a lot from me and Matt in the last um, part of the podcast. So let's hear a different voice. Jay, we're going to pick on you first with your top three. Top three Warhammer Fantasy models. Um, so <laughs> I'm going back in time now because obviously we're sort of spoiled with all these cool Plastic Age of Sigma ones. But I think my um, third choice has to be the uh, not the original Elfari and the Grim, Elfari and the Blind, which I think he was like a, a limited release or uh, a special edition of the model. So... Obviously, in, in the current Age of Sigmar setting, we've got uh, the spirit of Elfarian, who sort of uh, inhabits the, his, his armor. Uh, the really, really cool uh, miniature that came out with the first wave of the Luminef Realm Lords, where it's basically just pieces of armor hanging together by pure sculpting magic. Mm. But there was a, a, an old version of Elfarian who was blinded by a dark elf, I believe. He was quite an arrogant lord, and this sort of humbled him a little bit. And he had a, a really cool fighting stance rule where he could flick between these different stances with his um, two-handed weapon. Uh, I always really like that model. Uh, uh, I think I'm sure it's called Alfari the Blind. Yeah, I, you know, I think I've um, still got that somewhere. Um, he's got he's the actual pose of the miniature is really good. It's like oh, um, if you've still got that, Dave, sword. I'll have to take him off you and paint him up. I'm afraid I will. I will find him for you. Um, he's um, he's got his, his sword tilted downwards, hasn't he? That's it. Yeah, it's a proper sort of like really cool stance. Yeah, I'll, I'll try and dig that out for you. Oh, that's one, Dave. Yeah. Uh, my uh, second favorite model is another elf, and this model blew me away when we first saw it. Uh, I actually have them. The, the, I, I have two versions of this model. I have one model I painted up years ago, and then I bought another version of this model, metal model, for painting up in the future at some point. Uh, and Dave, you may remember I painted this this uh, this wood elf noble up as a as a um, night elf from World of Warcraft. Oh uh, yes, yeah. Again, another yeah. elf with a big two-handed sword. This <laughs> one sort of standing atop of a branch. Uh, this mm. wood elf noble, I believe, it was released alongside. The fifth edition Wood Elves book, I want to say, uh, with the old metal tree men and tree kin models as well. If you remember the tree kin, uh, yeah. So uh, I, I love that model as well. And then my number one Warhammer Fantasy model from the old world is a model I uh, actually mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, 
And it's the Dwarf Lord. It's a Metal Dwarf Lord, and he's basically... Let me go and grab him here. He's sort of leaning on his axe, and he's got his helmet underneath his... Um, there we go. He's got his helmet underneath his arm. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's a little... like <laughs> It's a metal model, so it's got a bit of weight to it, a low centre of gravity. It definitely feels like you're picking up a dwarf. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just love this model. He's got his like Gromrel plate armour, uh, this nice runic axe, a really sort of, um, I don't know, unimpressed look on his face. Um, I painted this guy up years ago, but he actually still stands up against the rest of the dwarfs and stuff I've painted for Age of Sigmar. Um, he'll definitely be remounted on a square base for the uh, the old world when it returns. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I, I'd not seen him for Age of Sigmar, but I know, I know the, the, orig- the original Grimbolt Boulder Balls. Yeah, excellent. Um, we're going to go straight into my top three because actually I was tempted. My, my first writing of my top three was ended up being three quite massive models, um, quite famous ones. Two, well, all three of them are still in use today, but two of them in particular. Um, but I decided, no, I'm going to go for smaller scale, real classic Warhammer Fantasy miniatures. And I'm glad I have now with, with your top three there, Jay. My third choice, though, does cross over into yours um, because it was that Wood Elf Lord um, that I always fancied buying myself and painting, but never actually did. Um, <laughs> I'll, I swap you. Like, I'll swap you for Altaria. I really, really liked your, um, your Wood Elf um, Kiana branch. So, yeah, unfortunately, I never owned him, but a very, very cool mini. So we'll swiftly move on to my second choice, which was also a dwarf, but a different dwarf. So when I played um, dwarfs, I had a dwarf lord that had two best mates because he was being held aloft on a shield. Um, so he was kind of on top of the shield, swinging his axe, whilst he had two um, two dwarven bodyguards holding him up. I think he was a special character to begin with, and I completely forgot to Google what the special character's name was. But but later in fantasy became just a generic dwarf lord on like shield and bear. Oh, was that Alric? Alric. Alric, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know who you mean. So yeah, he he ended up becoming my my favorite dwarf lord, um, and he always looked very cool. Like when you had like the the, the square movement trays because he took up obviously two um, positions at the front with like your musician and stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah, he was very cool. My top choice, though. <laughs> I wasn't going to disappoint you. I wasn't going to disappoint you. Matt's laughing because he knows. He knows what I want to go for. And you, I knew what it was when I said they asked the question last week, Dave. It has to be one of the greatest dragons Games Workshop have ever put out. <laughs> the High Elf on Dragon. Swooping off the rock, flying through the air. Brilliant kit. If they re-release that, I would pick it up tomorrow. Controversial. <laughs> now, listeners, listen to the show. We'll, we'll remember that that you two disagree with me heavily on this um, on this subject, but I still say it's one of the best dragons. We we will agree to disagree on that one, Dave. Shall we move swiftly on to your top three, Matt? Why not? Why not? I'm going to go with number three for a big, impressive model, and he's staring me in the face right now, so maybe it's just his will that is binding me to give this answer. But it is Nagash, and not the, the terrible old metal one. The current plastic Nagash model came out during the end times. 
So technically, it is a Warhammer Fantasy model. And it is an amazing model. Um, you've not painted one, have you, Dave? You've, I know you've wanted to add one to your collection. Yeah, I've, I've always fancied it, but um, I don't have so much of a, a deaf following now. Uh, at one point, I did have a few deaf armies, but I don't really have um, any deaf models now. Um, but yeah, I would like to pick them up at some point. It's a really, really nice model. Um, if you do get one, Duncan Rhodes did a two-point tutorial back ages ago in the world that was um followed that really nice guide there's lots of stuff in that guide that you can apply to your other death models too um number two however is something a little bit different the green knight mm. i think this is just one of those models that is iconically warhammer and i really hope they do like a you know they've done the collector series for horus heresy I hope they do a similar series for the old world with iconic characters redone in Forge World Resin. I've always liked the paint scheme, paint job on that model. I always thought that was impressive. Yeah, it's it's, it's a beautiful model, and I really, really hope we get like a new incarnation of it because I think that'd be yeah, that'd be really, really nice, wouldn't it? So the Green Knight is my second choice. But at number one, you you mentioned the tree men that were out with the uh, the tree kin. Uh, Jay, but there's actually a tree man before that, fourth edition maybe. It's an old one, but that that metal tree man that had like his nails painted red, and he's kind of got one arm up in the sky. A, a bit like the um, the new version of the Blood Bowl tree man. That's like yeah, a reimagining of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, yes, it's a little bit dated now. But when I first got into Warhammer, I played Wood Elves. And this tree man was one of the first models that I bought in Games Workshop with my own money. And I think just because of that, I've just got a nostalgic attachment to that one. He's tiny now. And I sold my wood elves a long time ago. And I really regret doing that. I should have kept them because they're my first army. But um, yeah, really, really like that tree man. And if they did a made to order, I'd pick one up. Excellent. Um, some really good um, some really good choices there. Um it only really leaves one final section. It's time to find out what the community have decided as their top three models, and that is coming up next. So it is sadly time for our final segment on this week's episode, and it's time to have a look at the community top three choices. So we're going to start over on Facebook. Sean Gleason has gone for the Anvil of Doom, the Wood Elf War Dancers, and the original Prince Imric on Dragon. Ooh, that's, nice. a, that's a proper dragon. That, that is, is a proper dragon. dragon. Uh, and the, the Anvil as well. I, I really like that. Again, never had it, but um, was a very cool um, kit. It was almost like a little diorama, wasn't it? Um, Brian Dennis has gone for Wolfric the Wanderer. I think was that a classic chaos model. He's a chaos one, wasn't he? Yeah, like a yeah. chaos Norse type character, Viking type thing. Right? Big uh, bushy beard. Big bushy beard. Uh, his second choice is Bretonian Knights, just because uh, ranked up, they look awesome, and one of the reasons why I'm tempted by them for the old world, to be honest, Brian. Uh, and his top choice is I know it's weird, but Bretonian Men at Arms again ranked up with heraldry, <laughs> just awesome. It's a nice kit. They just remind me of gambling from. The Rohan just like, oh, here we are again, fighting orcs, <laughs> and it's raining. <laughs> James Brewerton 
Uh, Dwarven King, one of my favourite figures, but most of the Marauder miniature dwarfs are stunning. And he actually has posted a picture, and it's the um, the Dwarf Lord I liked with the shield bearers. Um, nice. So, so, yeah, there he is. Uh, my favourite listener, Nathaniel, uh, you'll find out why in a minute. I came into Warhammer Fantasy quite late and had a largest pile, a largish, large ish high elf army don't know why that was so difficult for me to say <laughs> so my top three is heavily elfy his third choice is dragon princes of calador just Ooh, nice. awesome looking heavy cavalry that could tear up anything on the table his second choice was the sword masters of hoef fantastic heavy infantry that would very often hold against an entire chaos army his top choice and he's quite rightly put one for you dave the high elf <laughs> prince on dragon this gets a Prince of, on Dragon. This gets a lot of stick for looking a bit goofy, but I love the sculpt. Very Chinese, Japanese style dragon, which fits with the high elf army style. Thanks, Nathaniel. That is why you're one of my favourite listeners. Um, <laughs> Andrew uh, Bryan, I believe we know this guy, um, has gone for Grom. Simply the best. Jonathan has gone for the. Is first... that Grom the Paunch? Grom yes. the Paunch. Yeah. Yeah. He's a good model. Uh, Jonathan's gone for the first Beast of Nurgle, the Palaquin of Nurgle, and the original Rubric Marine. Hold on a minute. I think you might have gone a little bit off um, topic there. Uh, David Anderson, his third choice, he's gone for anything from the high elf range. The second choice is the Dwarf Metal Flame Cannon, horrifically unreliable but fun. <laughs> and for his top choice, he has also gone for Prince Imric for the high elf. My I mean, that's, that's a proper dragon, isn't it? Prince Imric. Yeah. My Bendy third and, monster, and definitely a learning experience. Technically, he's in my third choice, but he deserves to be first. I think everyone uh, says Prince Imric's my favourite listener, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have over on Twitter, Matt? Well, Jem Jackson says Orkwall Boss on Boar, classic, Bretonian Knights in Lance Formation, and any fourth edition High Elves, but if pushed, the Metal Swordmasters. Pointy-eared fantasy Jedi academics with great swords and always strikes first. Nice. Jem Duduku says three fantasy figures. Any goblins based on the legendary artist Gary Chalk picks. Uh, images from the 80s. Nice. Thrud, the forgotten mascot of Games Workshop. And any of the ogres. They had so much more character than the modern ones. Wild West Wargaming. This is always hard. So many awesome miniatures. So I gave away the top spot directly. I have to split up the number one spot for Vlad and Isabella von Karstein. Nice. Ooh. Adrian Hurst, the old metal giant for orcs and goblins, the Hellblaster volley gun and the Green Knight. Anonymous Rex goes for the Chaos Lord, never needs a remake. Leon Leoncourt, the uh, king of the Bretonians and the Jabba Slythe. Mark Dewhurst says the old school Nagash with the ugly big head, the Green Knight for Bretonia and Eltharian because he's the cover star of fourth edition. JP Riley says the plastic chaos chariot kit was amazing. The wood elf tree man. And they now use the new kit as tree kin. Uh, and this may be cause an argument, but the plastic dark elf lord on dragon kit is the best fantasy dragon kit ever. The dark elf dragon is infinitely superior to the high elf dragon of JP no, Riley. So that is the correct answer. Uh, no. Hymot's ego says the last version of the elven prince on Griffin. Yeah, the one from the Isle of Blood box. That's amazing. Uh, Empire Handgunners, they were wonky but full of character. And the Empire Steam Tank, seriously, nothing quite like it. 
Cassette says, in no particular order, the Green Knight, Throg, a mounted Nurgle Lord, and End Times Krell. Yeah. Um, Felix Wright says, the Necro Sphinx, Archeon on foot, etc. Uh, Weird Brush says, if you don't need a dynamic action pose and still look menacingly stunning like this guy, you definitely belong on the list. It's one of the old uh, Chaos Lords on Steed. Um, Anamanesis Studio, the classic Archeon on his horse with the Napoleon propose holds up so well to this day. The Bretonian Lady of the Lake was a wonderful sculpt. And the Juan Diaz Demonettes, I know you're a fan of them as a non-Chaos fan, aren't you, Jay? Yeah, they were nice sculpts. Uh, D. Porter, the Wood Elf Forest Dragon, another superior dragon. Uh, I think that, that's probably my favourite dragon with the two twins on it. I know you like the earlier forest dragon, but I do like the twins. Yeah, interesting. He's a little aside. Uh, if you don't follow Trish on Instagram and Twitter, she uh, she's posting loads of old school stuff. And it's actually the same dragon. And she sculpted on the additional details for when they re-released it. Yeah. So technically they're the same dragon, just evolved. Uh, number two, Gobbler from the original Scar and Gobbler. And the Halfling Hop Hop Pot. Uh, the coffee drinking corn berserker says number three is a two for one. The lizardman from the fifth edition box, my first ever set. Number two is the original Bellacore, still holds up. And number one, Arbel the undefeated, angry corn lord riding a flesh hound. What's not a lot to love? A Viper says the old metal green knight, awesome character. Sadie never got a new plastic model. Uh, Christopher, uh, three, impossible to narrow it down to that number. Number one, Altharian the swordsmaster. Number two, Gangrim Ironfist, taking on his father's Slayer Oath to end the line of Slayer Kings. And the Fur Coat Nobbler Trapper. I love Nobbler Trappers. I wish they still had a profile. <laughs> uh, Warhammer Family, says the Emperor Carl Franz on Deathclaw. He's a glorious model. Hobnail, says the Marauder Giant, the Dwarf Demon Slayer and Ickit Claw. Jack Young, the Bretonian Grail Reliquy. The Wood Elf Forest Dragon, the Sisters of Twilight version and the Green Knight. Uh, Jabers TV says Skaven Gracier. Classic Jez Good one, one I believe that is. Uh, Joe Gore, top choices of the Green Knight and uh, Malachi's Mangler, I think it's called. The old dwarf war machine with a load of axes. Uh, uh. Tim Mears, the Green Knight. Nathaniel Westwood, the Green Knight of the Legend. Ark and the Black on his winged chariot was a big deal to me early on. And he's also got an old uh, troll in there. And the classic metal, I believe, uh, Dark Elf on Cold One Night. Yeah, they were cool. Uh, Dungeons and Dry Gins, says the Freelance Knight, Orc Shaman and Grail Damsel, with an honourable mention to Deathmaster Snitch. James Beatty has the, the dwarf that you were on about, Jay. With his axe and his, uh, oh, his yeah, helmet cool. and thing. Uh, well, expand this to see the other two. We've got a Chaos Lord on horse with like a score head. And then I forget his name. It's an elf with an axe and he's holding up in his air. He's oh, uh, his side. he's the White Lions guy. Core Hill, isn't it? Yes, that is it. That's a really cool model. Uh, the Painter of Devils says the ancient Citadel Heinrich Kemmler, a.k.a. Wizard with a Hat. Uh, <laughs> the the The... The, it says this specific stone troll if you imagine stone trolls blue holding an axe belly hanging out that one and the empire war wagon 
Father Sun Minis, Grom the Paunch, definitely up there. Patrick Hertig, the Green Knight, Deathmaster Snitch, and Slan Mage Lord, Jason Dowley. Uh, oh, a Skeven Clan Escher Sorcerer. I don't recall that model. The um, the horrific like Maya Beast, I think it's called. And um, I forget the guy's name. It's one of the characters from one of those crusades. He's got big antlers and a big stick and a scroll in his hand. Um, Jewel Knight Jess says, my choices are pretty obvious. The Wood Elf Forest Dragon, the classic one. Of course it is Jess, because that's the best one. Wood Elf War Dancer. And uh, one of the newer Wood Elf Sorcerers, where she's like floating in the air, suspended on like a branch. Oh, well, the Spell Singer. Yeah, really. Yeah. Really cool. Really cool model. Eddie Barr says, um, thank you. And um, what's the name of his rat ogre? Bone Ripper. Bone Ripper. One of the classic ones. I, can't, I don't know if it's Bone Ripper 1 or Bone Ripper 2. There's been a lot of Bone Rippers over the years. Uh, Pete Planky Jabroni. Has got the uh, the Necro Sphinx, I think it's called, the Big Tomb King's Sphinx thing, the Green Knight, and Archeon on his horse. And Spooky Mama Negan says, of course, there's old three heads, which is an old classic uh, chaos model with three heads. Uh, Warrior Woman from the Last Chances, only beating Hero and Grease Monkey. 40k one, but you know, we'll allow it. <laughs> and the old Krell. Krell was a cool model. I'm surprised he hasn't had a new model as well. Uh, Zaresk says the old Red Duke, Heinrich Kemmler, and that one Sylvan war dancer that makes me want to play Sylvan Elves. Uh, Neverwhere says Queek Headtaker, the most recent one, jumping, Archeon on horseback, and oh boy, do I wish we could have an update of that one. We do! The horse just ate some demons, and the Nurgle Lord with an axe across its stomach, uh, although the Plague Priest is a very close run fourth place. Uh, ben Benjibu. It's still, I still wish I had him and picked up mine. It's called Chaos Warrior. I believe it's the original Harry the Hammer. Yeah. Uh, with his two axes. Uh, uh, Avurine Terestine. Apologies if I've brutalised your name there. Azeg the Slaughterer was perfect. That was a cool model. Daniel Reinholt says, no contrast. It's the Green Knight. There's been a lot of love for the Green Knight, hasn't there, today? Yeah, he was a very popular model. I remember he was one of the very first models I picked up, and one of the first reasons I started hating metal models because I could not get that thing to go together. Yeah, so exciting times. I, I want to paint some Warhammer guys. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I always <laughs> get after a weekend of gaming. Um, I have to ask a question, Matt. What would be next week's top three? Well, for, for reasons that will soon become clear, mm. next episode's top three will be the top three releases of the year. Yes. So you might want to hold on to those for now because we do have quite a major announcement to uh, round out this week's episode. Uh, we will put a post up on the website as well just to confirm these changes. However, as Matt mentioned at the top of the show, um, he is now in um, what we what we call Bruce and Bruce HQ. Um, so we're going to be doing a lot more video content. Now, Unfortunately, well, I said unfortunately, you know, we, we all have very happy family lives, different things going on. We have only got so much hobby time. So we have decided that um, we're going to, at least to begin with, trial the podcast as a monthly entity rather than weekly. Um, so 
at some point during the first week of the month, you'll have a brand new episode to listen to. Um, and what, what that will mean is it'll free up more time for us to do more video content over on YouTube. Um, if you do have any feedback, we would love to hear it via email or social media. Um, because I do know there's a lot of you out there that really enjoy this podcast and perhaps don't delve as much into our video content. Um, but but I, I do, you know, say do give it a go um, and let us obviously know what, what you like and dislike. Um, we're going to try it. We'll see how it gets on. Uh, we might miss doing these regular chats uh, once a week. Um, what it will mean is probably going forwards, we'll chat less about, you know, the battle tome reviews and stuff because we kind of do that on the website and we'll keep it to more of the fun stuff tournaments we've been going to nice little hobby chats project chats things like that yeah um, all, all, all killer and no filler so i know people have enjoyed absolutely. the episodes where we've talked about how to spend your money in a hobby sense and having some like special guests on and having a, a good old chat with them rather than here's the news this week you can see it on warcom and you know here's a battle tome where the reviews up on on the website it just hopefully gives you some kind of fresh new stuff to to listen to that isn't that's you know sometimes some of the episodes the content's already you know in written form or in video form as well isn't it absolutely and it also freezes up to do the occasional sort of one-off episodes where you know perhaps we'll just come on with like Matt said with a special guest just for 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 a for a quick episode uh, or something like that so we're gonna see how it goes um you know, we will miss doing the podcast every week, but we have, will have all this extra content coming out uh, on the website and um, our YouTube channel as well. So um, we're not we're not going anywhere. We're still going to be here. We're just not going to be here as as frequently as we were. What it will um, mean though is that they they should be coming out on like regular time as well each week as well. Absolutely, yeah. So um, like I say, well, I'll put a post up on the website. Um, it might already be up there by the the time that you've listened to this podcast. Um, but it will sort of, again, explain the changes to uh, our schedule a little bit as we sort of settle into this, should we say, new era of... New um, era, Spruce yeah. Spruce and Bruce. Now, I will say, <laughs> a, a lot of people enjoy the, the, the hobby chat and us just, like, hanging out and talking Warhammer. The um, live streams will be coming back. We'll confirm a time and date for them now. We have a bit of a, a schedule up on Twitch and the YouTube channel. But... Probably me, uh, Jay, Andy, Dave, hanging out from time to time, talking Warhammer while painting models. So if you are on the Internet at all, um, come and join us. It'll be fun. We'll, we'll chat with you. We'll all paint together. And, uh, yeah, we'll see. You'll be able to see some of the stuff that we're working on kind of live. So, you know, we've often had episodes, haven't we, where we've not been able to talk about what we're, we're working on because it's still super top secret where instead we can paint it and talk about it with you and and you know you can see the models in person so that's mm-hmm. certainly the plan anyway yeah absolutely so um so yeah um so that does mean your next um podcast episode will be uh, at the beginning of december um but um but yeah uh, just a, a couple of weeks to to sort of get all those kind of changes done um but thanks to everybody who listens to this podcast uh, and helps us in, in any shape or form by enjoying our content. Um, it really means uh, an awful lot. Um, I wish we had more time to hobby so we could just do everything. That would be <laughs> absolute dream scenario, but um, sadly that that's not the case. But um, but yeah, let us know. Spruce at gmail dot com or let us know on social media. 
uh, any feedback. Um, until our next interaction, shall we say, uh, whether it be next podcast or video, uh, I hope you have a great time hobbying, and we'll speak to you all again very soon. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the Spruce and Bruce podcast. For more content, remember to check out spruceandbruise.com. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, send us a tweet at spruceandbruise or head over to facebook.com forward slash spruceandbruise.